hates Abe. He looks 10 years older because of rage and hate and sociopathy. that has put a lot of work into these silly openings these last many weeks, believe it or not, and is this week content to simply announce that the unlikely recovery of a very nearly lost, most excellent hoodie sweatshirt is a really wonderful, invaluable occurrence. That's it. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> Lori's here too. How are you doing, Lori? I I'm good. Are we going to talk about your sweatshirt, or was that it? Yeah, for a second. Tonight is Monday, October the tenth, twenty twenty two. Stepmother's birthday. Happy birthday, Moose! If you're out there. It's uh, Columbus Day, also. And hey, Julia's how anniversary. You? How <laughs> dare you? Even speak that name on this podcast. Obviously, we don't want to get into the culture war stuff. As our <laughs> one of our biggest fans has just just written us up in a public forum uh, for our sloppy and low effort attempts at uh, generating controversy by stirring up the culture war pot. So obviously, we don't want to go into that. But Columbus Day, I saw it referred to today. I think by Camille Foster on Twitter, he referred to today as a culture war day. Which is actually subversive. Exactly correct. Because you have, on the one hand, people who are like Tom Cotton is the one that comes to mind right away, who like sort of trollingly tweeted a happy Columbus Day to everyone because now that's something that you can do to piss off the right people on the left if you are a person of the right. It's, it's become a stupid front in the culture war. I mean, for, this has been this for years, but it's now like. The, the the battle lines have been established because it's if you wish someone happy Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, which is I think now the official title of it, right? Think so. Is it? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. I think so. I th- I thought it was both. Maybe it's both. I don't know. I had the day off. Uh, according to all the literature I receive at my work, it's Columbus Day. Like that's the day, yeah. right? That's what's yeah, on the books. Is it both? I think that you should uh, take great offense at the Columbus Day verbiage in your emails and try to get, like, <laughs> another day off out of it. And you've <laughs> endured harm in a meaningful way, and you're going to need some time to yourself you're to think about it. You're doing it. You're doing this thing that you said you wouldn't do. I, I, I think that's, uh, that's the only solution. Two separate days that I get yeah. to take off. Because I wouldn't want to take two separate days off on the same day. Didn't make any sense. But then the point, the problem is that you're still honoring Columbus if you give him a day. Right. That's true. I think it makes sense to have them on the same day. So I think this works. It's Columbus Day. The concept of of Sorry? Like, I think that is good. I I reject the concept of indigenous out of hand. I was reading a, a thing in, I don't remember where I saw it, but some academics out of china i think 
have used supercomputers to predict because you know like 300 million years ago or whatever there was no north america south america and uh europe and africa and all the rest yeah is throughout all of apparently roughly every 600 million years or so there's a great rearrangement of the uh of the continents right so we've had this arrangement for the totality of human history uh for the most part right um but it's not the case that our arrangement of continents will always be this way. And the the predictions from this bunch of academics, I'll try to find the article to link in the show notes. Don't forget to go to brainiron.com. That's the only place where you can see my very important photoshops that I do at the top of every episode, <laughs> which this past week, I sh- what I should do is I should quiz Abe. And just present him with past photoshops and say, see if he can guess the it, show. It, no, because as we explo- as we exposed last week, Abe Explo- remembers nothing <laughs> of previous episodes when we talked about the fancy peanuts. And he had no memory of it, yeah. despite it featuring prominently at the top of the show, much like this. Yeah. So I'm writing will, it down. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give Abe. You're like one of those assholes in a debate. He's taking notes during the televised debate, and it just says like, "Oh, poop." It, just, it, just, it doesn't actually mean anything. It just says, oh, "Romney's an asshole." That's what, that's what Obama just wrote down when he was taking notes during the debate. It's not that, but it's not far off from that. <laughs> right. Anyway, so I should just give Abe previous episode titles and pictures, and be like. Is this an episode of our podcast yeah. and, or not? <laughs> I think it would be fair if you did it only like four episodes and older because I'd like to delay right, my to catch up. listening. Yeah. What, what were we talking about? Why am I talking about this? Oh, I don't want to tell you because... No, tell me. You got to tell me. It's, it's not Indigenous fair. Peoples Day. No, after that, we were past Indigenous Peoples Oh, you oh, went yeah, to the, the website. The continents thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, that's what I wanted to get these, back to. The prediction by these supercomputers is that the next edition of the arrangement of the continents on Earth will involve the closing of the Pacific Ocean, in which, uh, because it, the Pacific Ocean right now apparently shrinks by an inch a year, something along really? those lines. Really? Oh, look at yeah. that. So despite, uh, you know, alleged climate change. Yeah, we can't. Like raising all of the, the sea levels melt. or what have you. Uh, I guess that applies to the Atlantic Ocean and other oceans, or maybe I just misunderstand what it means when it <laughs> rising sea levels, but also the shrinking of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, as Abe is want to say, Abe is not a blank like whatever it is that we're talking about, <laughs> yeah. unless it's like a mid level manager, not a geologist, for, a mid level <laughs> manager for the Internal Revenue Service. Yeah. Abe is uh, notably not that. Uh, <laughs> But I'm not any of those things either, and so I, I cannot square in my head rising sea levels and also the closing of the Pacific Ocean, right. which is Does, the largest ocean on the planet. Is there For some now, other ocean that's taken up? The Indian the Ocean, slack? the Arctic Ocean. The Arctic Ocean is probably what's going to – it'll just push – anyway, will you finish your thought? Anyway, so the, the, the continents are closing, and there's going to be an uh, Amerasia or, or Asia America or something that they decided to name it uh, some some 300 million years from now. That so th- it's going to close enough to touch? Yeah, it's like, you know, just the... <laughs> oh, look at that. 
It's us and the Chinese, and I to assume... To touch? What other way? I don't know what's going to happen Emotionally? to Japan in this scenario. Like, yeah, if there's happens... no more Pacific Ocean, no, what happens No, there's no Japan. Japan. Japan's underground. There might be a little top of that mountain. And we'll get into uh, a little bit of this uh, existential dread and doom for all of humanity uh, later on, when you talk about William Shatner in space. But... There's something about reading an article about the Pacific Ocean just going away and all of North America colliding with in a very sort of slow and not dramatic way. But like on the very long run of Earth life, which in the grand scheme of things is like nothing, uh, the further out that you go, right, Uh, that 300 million years from now is a, you know, what would that represent out of Earth's entire life? Uh, Because Earth is what? six billion years old or something like that right so it's not an insignificant chunk but it's like the toddlerhood of earth or something is 300 million years do those uh fancy computers predict whether we will be around the humans because i mean there's I no way that humans right, are going to right. 300 million either years. we go extinct or we go to a better planet maybe 300 million years is a long time from now very long time nothing that we need to be concerned about right. obviously not yet will we celebrate indigenous people's day <laughs> on the new planet what will it even well but what what is in the context of like continent drift? What is an indigenous people? Okay, sort I think of my what they're point. referring to are the races of people that we just murdered. Just there used to be a whole I've, bunch of people, I've and then they the all died of, because of, indigenousness of murder. At some great length on the on the blog before, I'll make sure it's a great blog. Uh, the, the title of the blog is great, and then the content of the blog is whoopsie boom. How can you not love a blog <laughs> whose title is Whoopsie Boom? Great blog. Make sure it's in the show notes. Anyway, what were we going to talk about? Oh, yeah, my sweatshirt. Yes. Uh, this is what the people come for. Sweatshirt talk. I had a good hoodie. Atlanta, or no, Georgia Bulldogs hoodie. And I brought it with me because it was a chilly day on Saturday to the kids' baseball game. Great win for the good guys. 12 to 3. No, 13 to 3. If you count the unallowed seventh run in the last inning, because you're supposed to max out at six runs, but our last hit produced a seventh run. It's like, did it cross the plate or didn't it? When exactly does the mercy rule go into effect? Not clear. Either way, big win for the good guys. Uh, Calvin pitched two scoreless innings and and caught a further two good innings. Uh, good, Good win. But I left my beloved University of Georgia Bulldogs hoodie sweatshirt just hanging on a fence post Bob doesn't lose things very much I don't lose things and I certainly don't lose hoodies I've never lost a hoodie to my knowledge I still have the hoodie that I got going into high school like the summer after eighth grade I still have that hoodie in my closet so you just this is a absent-minded thing you're just so engrossed in the game that you forgot that you we were okay so we were at like minute 10 of the Third quarter of the Auburn game. Yeah, we're leaving okay. this. We're we leaving needed this, to go home this to watch football. Baseball yeah. game at five thirty-five on Saturday evening with the Georgia game. According to our phones, like having watched the highlights now, it wasn't particularly close in the first half. Like we yeah. haven't watched the whole first. Like I only had the game cast. Bob d- was coaching. I had. I have a clipboard during the game with the lineup on it to get yep. kids ready. And then under clipped onto it was my phone with the game cast. Nice. So that I could right. pay and attention to both But things. it was only like, it was a, where were we up? 
I think we were, it was 14 to zero or 14 to three at that point. Yeah, but the first quarter was scoreless. Like the only updates that I'm getting are that this is a close game, right? And this was a game that was supposed to have a lot of points in it and they didn't score for like the first 20 minutes. So anyway, I'm just trying to get the fuck out of there so we can go home and watch the football game. Left the hoodie there. Didn't even think about it again until it was time to walk the kids to school on Monday morning. And I'm looking around trying to find the hoodie. Not in the closet, not hanging off any of the kitchen or dining room chairs where it might otherwise be. Not draped across the back of the couch. If I was being lazy, that's where it would be. It was nowhere. Panic set in. It's the worst. I immediately, it's the worst when you can't find a thing you love. I immediately conceived of a narrative in my head that put the blame squarely on someone else which (laughs) is uh, naturally what I should do because conveniently as we were leaving the car to go up to the baseball field Lori asked for my keys so I handed Lori why did I ask for the keys in case I had to dart across town in the car right to to get get catcher's gear to get catcher's gear okay um but she didn't need to, as it turns out. We had catcher's gear at this visiting field. That it we immediately were going to. became my fault. Right. And I felt but, he as, didn't have to say a word to me. I felt guilty. <laughs> I knew somehow this was my fault. Right. right. I mean, I'm not saying it was your fault, but <laughs> there's no way. No, but I it's, read it your mind. It would have been physically impossible for me to have left the sweatshirt behind if I had simply had the keys in my pocket, and they would have been in the sweatshirt pocket. Right. Because I would have needed the keys to get in the car yeah. to drive home, Abe. I right. see you, you with your skeptical so, eyes there, Okay, Brenda, I, I wasn't there. It's true. I, I do have a question. Uh, was this – so you didn't feel naked? Like I feel chilly because I'm not, I'm not without the thing? excited. Was, no, look. I know it's just – to you, it's just a, a child's game, right? But I am the <laughs> coach. I'm the life. manager of this team. And I was already wearing like one of those uh, – Long sleeve like t shirts. Yeah, yeah long sleeved undershirt One with a t shirt uh, over it. And it was sunny. Yeah. Like, it was a sunny day, so it I'm was moving cold. around. Bob it's, was excited. Yeah, you have but to get excitement amped. Like, I get amped at these right. games. Yeah. Then, you yeah. know, so I took okay. the sweater off. And, okay. Anyway, I go back. I, I drop the kids off at school. I get in the car because if you think about it, this is a city facility. So the chances that like some maintenance worker or what have you came by on Sunday, very slim. And as far as I know, this little league doesn't have Sunday games like the our 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 little league does. But the, we were playing a another division's right. little league; they don't have Sunday games. So I was fairly confident that the field had been abandoned since we were there on Saturday evening. And this is not like um, a high value product; like it has sentimental value. But it's not like you left some fancy AirPods or whatever. It is just a hoodie, right? Yeah, it's just, just a, a gray not, not to besmirch your, your hoodie, but you know, it's not like it's oh, a great no. Georgia. I mean, come on, I don't have it with me. I'd show you, but it's a great Georgia Bulldogs. It's great, sweatshirt. but we live in a place where people are not Georgia fans. Okay, in general, That's so true. it's. Right. I mean, I mean not if I had lost it, I would have. I would if someone else had claimed it, and like you know. It, that's the sort of thing, like, I, I can't explain why I had a soft spot for the University of Michigan Wolverines growing up, except that inexplicably, I was the proud owner of a t-shirt 
that had Michigan Wolverines shit all over it. Like right. some aunt or step uncle or something had given it to me, I guess, when I was like eight or nine or 10 years old. I wore it for years. And so whenever we'd be watching Michigan Ohio State, which was one of like the three college football games we would watch every year, I would be like die hard for Michigan <laughs> just because I had inexplicably had this t shirt. So, like, in my, as I'm driving over there, I'm like, okay, so worst case scenario. Yeah, someone's a Georgia fan. I now. can tell myself the story that. Maybe the the coach's kid who was there, uh, because the the coach of the other team had an older kid. Maybe he saw it and grabbed it, and he put it on. And now he's like, now I'm Georgia Bulldog curious, is what I am. (laughs) And he finds a real team to root for, not these stupid uh, Virginia Cavaliers. No one roots for this team. Or Virginia Tech. Don't act like it. A lot of Virginia Tech people around here, too. So that was like I'm I'm building this whole stupid story in my head about this kid who's like you know dreams of becoming a Georgia Bulldog That's now right. because he stole my sweatshirt, the <laughs> yeah. bastard. Uh, but he didn't mean to steal. He it. didn't mean to steal yeah. it. But like when you he take ended up sweatshirts, right. you also, take them thinking you're doing something nice. Because yeah. I got to the field and there was my sweatshirt uh, covered in a in a pleasant morning dew and a, a frost. Really, it was quite chilly this morning. Hanging on the fence post exactly where I'd left it. Oh, nice. At least you remember that much. Yeah, nice. It felt good. Bob hardly ever loses things. And when he does, it's my fault, obviously. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah. Any uh, thrilling anecdotes about your weekend, Abe? No, no. uh, A bunch of people were in town, uh, and so we recorded the other podcast uh, that I'm on, uh, and we just hung out the rest of the day. It's pretty good. I haven't heard a new Biffler in a while. I'm excited. No, it's, I think it's going on a month now. Preview it for me. Good episode or or great episode? It was a long ball. episode. Uh, like, uh. <laughs> good. It's what, I, right. it's what I always hope for, especially at the start of like basketball season, is for really long episodes of the Biffler. All right, I got one more uh, bullshit start here before we uh, move on to. Uh, wacky articles or whatever it is that we uh, are supposed to do around here. What? <laughs> Abe, I want you to imagine a carton of eggs in the refrigerator. Uh, describe, describe for All me right. the the how much, how big of a carton. All right, so this is a it's a, a dozen and a half eggs, so eighteen okay. eggs right. in an arrangement of three by six. Uh, three by six. Yes, correct. I'm impressed that you. You knew right away how these eggs were arranged. Not, the, not <laughs> just one row of 18 eggs. <laughs> so not, this is <laughs> very stupid. Uh, not a yardstick of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> this is a stupid uh, aside, uh, and I guess it just explains how my simple mind works. The Don't Worry Darling movie, which was like this, it was set in like uh, this made-up virtual reality thing. One of the right. clues that uh, the main actress the wife figured out that there's something wrong was that she would look at the eggs and this was like a regular like dozen eggs um carton and there was, and she just crushed them and none of them were actual They're real sick. eggs and then mm. a, a week after watching that movie i would look at the eggs while i'm shopping and i'm like like you can just tell by the heft you, she didn't she didn't need to ah okay interesting <laughs> you can tell i like re- Yes, you can tell yeah. that there are eggs in there right? by the so heft of the, yeah. of the eggs. All right, yes. So eggs, obviously, they come in all sorts of containers. Uh, they could be in clear plastic. Often you see them in so that you don't have to be the crazy grocery store person who's, like, lifting the eggs out of the carton to see whether or not they're cracked before you buy them. Right. 
the the eggs that we buy as it happens come in like a crushed paper, like cardboard effectively. Oh, so opaque, old-fashioned egg right. carton. Yeah. Old-fashioned, can't see through it, egg carton, okay? And it holds 18 eggs at a time in the three-by-six arrangement, as you suggested. Here's my question for you, Abe. As you're... Wait. The egg carton is always in the refrigerator in the same arrangement. Okay. Okay? Right. So it doesn't move it's around. It's in there, not horizontally, but it's yes. in there... Vertically, it when goes, you're looking at it, you see the three eggs across. Yes. Right. It goes front okay. to back, gotcha. three. Gotcha. Right. So, and, and it fairly reliable in terms of placing the carton of eggs back in the same spot in the fridge every single time. All right. So here's the question: When you are, you get a carton of eggs out of the refrigerator and you place it upon the counter, and you're going to remove some <laughs> number of eggs from the carton. Okay. Yeah. Abe is an agent of chaos, by the way. <laughs> yeah. This isn't fair. Uh, you're going to remove some number of eggs. Let's say it's either three or five, generally speaking. Sometimes, Maybe two. Sometimes two. Often I just get two eggs out. Right. By the way, this only even comes up because I've recently switched away from my, what for like the last six months or so, I guess, was my... Maybe longer. Maybe longer. I think like a year. Maybe a year of... I've been going with a Greek yogurt. With fruit, usually ban- like a, at least a banana, sometimes some strawberries or other berries in there. And I can't then, believe we're talking about this. This is very important stuff. <laughs> I mean, look, I, we can't get into culture war stuff, Corey said. So we're talking I mean, breakfast. I like it. We are nothing if not just a bad zoo morning crew from the 90s. <laughs> just desperately trying to fill time in each six-minute segment until we can run the fucking traffic and weather again. Uh, <laughs> There's an audience for it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, gotten away from the uh, for for like a year because I I read some fucking thing in some fucking science uh, magazine article about how eggs will kill you this this year. Like they decided eggs were bad again, and I'd been eating nothing but eggs for breakfast for a while. They alternate and on good versus bad. Were yeah, we? If it you just goes stay away, you're gonna be just like. Don't read about eggs. Yeah, probably ever. best not to read about eggs Just, or coffee. Don't fine. read about eggs or coffee, yeah. and you're fine. But I was I was due for a change. I've been eating eggs for years. In the morning, I was like, okay, we're gonna try something else. And and I've been reading a lot about gut health. You know, like oh. the uh, the microbiome and yeah. that. And yeah. I don't eat much yogurt, so I was like, ah, I'll get some of that Greek yogurt, and it'll fix my gut health. And the eggs won't uh, spike my cholesterol. I won't get heart disease. I could go to the doctor. I could go see all these different people, too. But otherwise, I could just mess with my breakfast routine and assume that I'm going to live forever. All right. Anyway, so I, I, I went to uh, yogurt plus fruit plus some sort of crunch, maybe a little granola, maybe a little uh, like Crispix or, or Chex Mix or something, uh, cereal thrown on top there just to give it some texture. And I was finding, especially because I, with my 5.30 a.m. wake up, so it's 5.30 wake up, I exercise, uh, maybe do a protein shake, and then have the, the yogurt parfait thing for breakfast. I was getting to like 10.30 in the morning, like fucking starving. And I'm not even a person who usually eats much for lunch. But like the exercise plus the weak-ass yogurt breakfast yeah. was leaving me like famished at 10.30. And it was like – it was defeating the whole purpose of trying yeah. to be healthy because yeah. it's like 10 fucking 30. I'm having another <laughs> you meal can already. Eat, you're allowed to eat and be healthy. Yeah, I know, but uh, not in my head. You're so, so bad at this. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'm done with the yogurt. We're going back to eggs. Yes. So I started eating eggs again. I've, I've thrown in a bunch of sp- – 
I've been eating three eggs for breakfast and a piece of toast every day for fucking a hundred years now. I don't know how long it's been, Still but alive. I'm not guaranteed lunch at my job. Yeah. So if I eat three eggs and a slice of toast, I won't die. Like I can actually go from eight. 30 eating eggs until 8 30 at night eating dinner i'm cranky yeah. but i'm not dead uh, okay the point is i needed eggs back in the diet back in rotation i've been eating them with a lot of spinach doing a little wrap it's delicious highly recommend this is how we got here yes to the the egg carton situation imagine carton of 18 eggs on the on the counter there you're going to remove Two to three to five eggs yes. from the carton at any given time. How do you choose which eggs to remove from the carton, and does it matter? <laughs> why explain yourself? So the way this is very nonsensical. Like there's really no rhyme or reason. But I always do nearest. So the first time, if it's just a full batch of eggs, I always start with the nearest, where however you arrange it, and then I go furthest, and then I end up in the middle. And I don't think it's the right way, but I've always just done it that okay, way. Okay, but you're acknowledging there is a right way. Right. Because, well, yeah. I mean, wh- I'm excluding from the right options my option, the thing that I do. No, so I don't know sure. if there is a right way, sure. but I know what I'm doing is probably I not like the right I like that you have approach. a method. Right. I'm surprised that you're not just why do like you, Why do you blindly? doubt your method? This is interesting. Why do you, you know, assume that you're doing it wrong? So when your, your method certainly must be as valid as any other method, right? It's not, that's because not I how think that works. The, I don't know who, I don't know. I just remember being in someone's home. I don't know why I had, I don't know. I was going for their eggs and they had it like very <laughs> backloaded. Like they would just take from the front at all times. Right. And then no. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I don't like this, right? So like I... <laughs> Fair, fair, and, you Abe. Know, just you are on to something. It's not like you need to have a little balance, you know. So, like, if you have it all on the back, then it's my man right know. here. Okay, Abe. okay. Abe demanding so do balance. You, okay, so why did we start talking about this in the first place? All right. So here's what I do. If I'm no, 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 no. Like, can a woman have a perspective for once? Yeah, sure. Go for okay. it. You, go, you asked so, me a question. I was responding to the question. Okay, so. I've been eating eggs for fucking ever, and in doing so, noticed after every day taking the carton of eggs. You gotta claim some level of expertise here. (laughs) I'm not claiming expertise. I haven't been taking the eggs out of the fridge every day. Merely speaking from my own perspective. Is that okay? It sure sounds like you're trying to couch this in terms of a position of authority. I'm just speaking from my own perspective. Yeah. So. Fucking Miss Indigenous over here with the eggs. Yeah. In this time of anti-Semitism. Yeah. So every day. And I noticed, because sometimes I'm like, oh, I'll go left to right, front to back. What I noticed is that when I'm reaching into the refrigerator to pick up the eggs, the most secure way for me and my weak wrists from years of labor, if I have the weight as far front Okay. As I can, it's just the sa- the the least sh- way I'm gonna drop them. I'm okay. afraid I'm gonna drop the carton of eggs. It the more weight I have in my hand, I know what I'm holding. I'm not gonna overcorrect like this person you said took them front to back. Yep. That's insanity. That's you're asking me to drop. Like I right, think never, I got it. You never and I don't. like that person. Obviously, is wrong. You never want to pick something up 
from one end and find out that all of the weight is in the other end. That's yes, just that's, begging for a that's mess. That's the most wrong. Right. 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 That's the most wrong. So then by that logic, the most right is to have the weight in your hand. Right. So Lori's... So that's how I did it clear, for years. I'm trying to paint a picture in the listeners' minds here. Lori's working back to front so that all of the 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 last three eggs are in the front row, right, of yeah. the... And, and the whole rest of it is empty. So that's Lori's method. Yeah. My method is to go, I mean, it looks probably to the casual observer uh, chaotic and yeah, random. Okay. Right? Like if, you're, if you're just looking at it, you're like, what the fuck is even, what psychopath has been taking eggs out of this container this week? But what, what, what you're really seeing there is a, a perfect balancing act. How do you know it's perfectly balanced? Do you know how much each of the eggs weigh? It is reasonably well balanced. Okay, there's best, a difference. As best as can be uh, done just by removing one or two eggs at a time so that the load remains balanced No, at, at, at every single point of that egg carton's life in the refrigerator, whether it's completely full or there have been two eggs removed or 12 eggs removed, right. the weight will be evenly distributed throughout the carton. So that when you go pick it up, you're always picking up something that has an evenly distributed amount of weight in all in all corners, basically. And how do you achieve? How does it look? So when you you, you start, it doesn't you, matter how it looks. Doesn't matter. So there might be one. So if I if I take if it's a full carton of eighteen, I might take two from the middle, or I might take one from the uh, front row and one from the back row. Okay. But I will always maintain that level of, of okay. Of, the integrity of the balance is still happening. In okay. There, right? More of the weight an evenly is dis- in the back than not. No, it's an evenly distributed load. Okay. So when I pick it up because my weak wrists, <laughs> and this is hard because you people can't see me, yeah. the hardest way for me to pick something up is what I would say like if you're serving a plate to someone, how you have to hold the plate. Right. That's where I'm really weak. What this exposes, and I want to be as uh, hyperbolic as possible about this, is this actually exposes a fundamental difference in the way that Lori and I see the entire world. Oh, yeah. Which is that Lori, Lori believes that it's important to take the eggs out of the carton so that she can. So that it best so reflects. So that I don't drop them on right, the floor. So that it best reflects her individual personal experience of daily going into the fridge and getting the carton of eggs out, right? In order to avoid catastrophe with regard to the eggs. Right. My system allows is a much more universal system. It allows for an, an, an unthinkable no, number of variables across across time and space. I would love such that some stranger. Some weirdo walks into our house. They've probably murdered us all. They drown the dog in the bathtub. They've taken a hammer to us in our sleep. And then and they go for the they've, eggs? They've worked up an appetite. Yeah, they're like Abe, just going through people's eggs. Yeah, and now they're, now they're headed to the fridge. They've, they've washed up appropriately in the sink, you know, because they've got all the blood and That's gore right. on them. From Maybe they're going to make an omelet from us. Ooh. Yeah, maybe they're going to use us in their, in their ham and cheese. But... They can reach into my refrigerator and reliably grab that carton of eggs, knowing that no matter how they grab it, this this person who does not live in our house is not familiar with our customs, they can grab that carton of eggs and know that it is going to be an evenly distributed load with no danger 
of anything tipping over. If you were packing a moving truck or like an airplane or or loading something, would you say you have 10 10 pound boxes? Do you evenly place them on the bed of the U-Haul or do you stack them up more towards like the cab of the U-Haul? I'm not taking this carton of eggs out onto the goddamn highway and driving okay. it around. The, <laughs> driving I know that. I didn't say you were. I'm suggesting that maybe something being evenly weighted is not the best way to do something. Yes, in some cases, okay. but not when it comes so to a carton one of, the of cases. eggs in the refrigerator. All right. An evenly <laughs> distributed load is the ideal scenario for, for someone what? for someone walking in and not knowing the system. Right. If you so I'm going to put my suitcase, I'm going to evenly pack it. I'm not going to put all the weight at the bottom of the suitcase so that it stands up nice. I'm going to put it even. I think that you should pack a suitcase evenly because you don't know how well, it's going to be very carried. wrong. It might not be rolled. That might have to be carried by someone and you don't want to. If you pick it up. If you pick it up and all the weight is on one end, that sucks ass. Yeah, it's like that a dead body e- at you want any? Yeah, it's like a, a dead human body. You, but th- no, because a smart person would pick it up from the light end. <laughs> anyway, Abe, can we get a verdict here? What's the correct way? I, uh, I'm, I have no opinion. You take on no this. position. <laughs> the fucking UN here. What no, a no, piece no, of no, shit. no, 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 Abe, I don't personally need you. Like, I don't care. Right. I. Also, I am co- comfortable with being concerned more about the egg carton that I hold than every egg carton that has ever or will right. ever this existed. Is, my concern is the platonic egg carton. And yes, but we is, live in real fucking life. That is not Lori's concern. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm a, an audience of one, so I know I've got a bad memory, but I, 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 my system works for me. I can't speak for how yeah. other people do it. I just want anyway. the most accurate information when I left it. I don't want it to be t- front heavy or back heavy. Just how you know? How you know that we'll never uh, gain any modicum of popularity is that there are assholes on Twitter who could turn this into an engagement machine <laughs> that would have like, you know, like days worth of content with hundreds of millions of impressions <laughs> and hundreds of thousands of votes in every direction. Uh, in a in a Twitter type poll over uh, a carton of eggs, you have a very high opinion Guaranteed. of people online. <laughs> there are people who built entire online followings by like talking about bath towels in the in the exact right way to talk about bath well, towels. If we went with that, then I'd have. I've Fortunately, had that's not what we're after here. <laughs> Although it would be interesting to see what the people think. Yeah. All right, let's do uh, this week in sports. If you don't like to hear us talk about sports, I don't blame you. But there's a handy-dandy feature that I include in every episode, which is uh, the rundown of the show, where it says exactly where we start talking about a topic and then where we stop talking about a topic. Uh, But my assumption is that if you're here, you just are tolerant of us talking about whatever the fuck it is we're going to talk about. So... Uh, but yeah, if not, go to the show note and jump around a bit as you see fit. I was trying to come up with a, uh, you know, like a segment name for this to make the Chris Howards of the world happy. Like he doesn't uh, listen. Why would you make him happy? Well, I know he doesn't listen, but like you know, people of his ilk, you know, his taste. My my fantasy team this year is called Cast Iron Balls, so we can't go with that. <laughs> yeah, you uh, can. <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. Of course you can. Yeah, I guess we could call it that. But you plagiarize yourself all the time. It's true. 
first of all, we should probably discuss uh, very quickly the New York Mets, who have uh, been washed out of the Major League Baseball playoffs. Padres beat them two out of three in the wild card round, and the Padres will now go play the Dodgers in the divisional round, and the Phillies will play the Braves in the National League divisional round. And so that's the uh, National League playoff picture. It is both uh, obviously hilarious to me that the Mets are out of the playoffs already. <laughs> and also it's like entirely unacceptable. Like just it's utterly unconscionable that a team that won 101 games and tied for the division win but lost on a tiebreaker because they lost one more game against us than than we did right. against them had to go play a three-game series and then got bounced that's just that's rough. Now, in the old way, the old the old format, would the Mets be in the playoffs at all? Is this best of three an improvement over where they would stand? It's an improvement over the interim system, which included like a one game wild card yeah. playoff. Yeah, that was terrible. Garbage system. Yeah. Uh, but it's not an improvement over the old, like when they just had the wild card and they would have the divisional round where you would have the number one seed play the wild card and then the two and the three seeds were just the other two division winners. Right. But that was at least a five-game series. Like, a five-game series isn't ideal, but at least it's a series. You yes. Know? And, and like, so in the old system, it would have been just four teams out of the National League. So it would have been the Braves, the Dodgers, and the Cardinals would have been the three division winners. And then the Mets would have gotten the wild card with the, the tiebreaker uh, going to the Braves there. And that would have... And that would have sucked to an extent because the Mets would have had 101 wins and then have to go play the Dodgers while the Braves get the relatively easy job of facing the 87 or whatever win Cardinals. Right. Uh, but, you know, you get something for winning your division, you know? Yeah. And it's too bad for the uh, Dodgers in that case as well, who won the most games and now have to play probably the second best or third best team in the in baseball. But at least it's a series, it's a five-game series, and it's not this bogus three-game nonsense. And I mean, it's again, it's the Mets, so it's really funny. <laughs> Max, Scher Max Scherzer is getting got paid forty-three million dollars this year to be a Met, and will get paid forty-three million dollars again in each of the next two years, and gave up like six or seven runs and a whole bunch of taters the other day. So I mean, yeah, you know, just in terms of a longtime hater of the New York Mets, it was fun to see. Uh, but it's not fair, certainly. As long as we're talking about New York sports. Did you watch the Giants game? I did. Uh, well, Sunday morning? Even though I, I know they do this London series, but it always comes to me as a surprise because I don't tune into TV stuff until the noon hour. And I was like, oh, what's this? This game is almost over. Like, I'm just trying to see like who's injured and who's not, and the game was already on. Right. Uh, but it was fun. I mean, I didn't miss much because it looked like the Giants were uh, – eating shit at the beginning but they i watched Giants the ate parts. shit in the beginning and then the packers ate shit the entire second yes. half didn't score at all yeah uh here's a question because i was i it was right at the end of the game and i started texting the people that i knew were definitely watching i think i texted brian and jerry and maybe somebody else i said something like this game the giants game is currently being catastrophically mismanaged here at the end and and the occurrence was that the giants had shockingly taken the lead after not being very good. They took the lead in the fourth quarter. They were up by a touchdown now. And the Packers go driving down the length of the field. There's We're under two minutes. They get to fourth and goal, and they fail to score. Turnover right? on so downs. Yep. 
Turnover on downs. Consecutive on third down, the Giants, somebody on the line. I mean, you could say that they batted the pass, but in reality, Aaron Rodgers just chucked it right into a guy's face. So, so you know, Bounced every, off his helmet. Every time he that happens, with his face. I'm always surprised why it didn't happen more often. Because when they do the slow-mo, these gigantic men are just like flailing their arms around. And then sometimes it'll, it'll hit one of their arms or their helmet. And I'm surprised right. this doesn't happen more often. It, it happened a lot yeah. to, to Rodgers at the end. Ball goes like 15 feet in the air and like three Giants converge on it and just can't quite make the interception before it bounces on the ground. That was third down. Then on fourth down, it was another batted ball. And it wasn't a great looking play anyway. There's this tendency in the last, I don't know how long it's been going on, but the garbage like corner of the end zone 50-50 ball yeah. in des- at, at the moment of greatest desperation is such a go-to for these assholes. Like, w- how is it that you get down to the five-yard line and the whole play, like, you don't have just a whole other playbook that you can go to right. to, to get the ball in the goddamn end zone? Like, you, you should have like you should have 30 plays that are two-yard or five-yard plays, and instead they just they constantly sort of defer to this garbage 50-50 ball to their best wide receiver. But and maybe 50-50 why. is an improvement over – there's a lot – because everybody's just bunched up. There's a lot of traffic, so you can't even, like, anticipate where the empty spaces will be. And so they're like, oh, this relatively tall guy is faced off against this relatively short Are guy. Are you saying it might be more complicated than Bob is making yeah, it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not saying it's easy. but right. the, You're kind of saying it's easy. Georgia does it constantly where they're just like, okay, so the play is for Brock Bowers to go into the corner of the end zone, and because he's big, yes. then we're going to put the ball in a place where only he can catch it. Yes. But it's a very like it's a very low probability. Like 50-50 is pushing it because it's really 50-50 between the two guys there, but the ball also has to be in the exact right, right. place. Yeah, on top but of you that. can at least control somewhat for that with these great quarterbacks, uh, but also – there is a less of a risk of a turnover, right? Like if you throw it in a bunch of traffic, like what if somebody sure. tips it and then now you're out of? I just don't like it. It's not. Yeah. Pr- it's not a pretty football play. Right. Like Bob it's just not enjoyable like to watch. I don't care for it. Whatever. Yeah. The point is that Rodgers tried to throw it into the corner and it didn't work because the ball got batted anyway. So fourth down, turnover on downs. Giants take over. Less than two minutes, but. The Packers still have two timeouts, right? Right. So it's not one of those scenarios where you can just kneel and the clock will go away and the game is over. Right. This was a situation where you needed to bleed some time off the clock or they're going to get the ball back and you're on your own fucking five-yard line, right? So right. You're, you're backed up against the end zone. Not an ideal situation. And the Giants on first down took a knee. And, like, my blood pressure went from... <laughs> oh, this is awesome. The Giants just won this fucking game. Yeah. These these bum-ass Giants are going to go to 4-1. and one. <laughs> uh, They went to London and beat the hated Packers and this, this dirtbag Aaron Rodgers guy. <laughs> it feels good. And then all of a sudden, I'm like standing up like, what is what? happening? Yeah. yeah, You can't take a knee right here. What are you doing? Wasn't, and, wasn't there also a uh, clock issue at the game? Like there was some sort of... Right, so the clock was being stupid on top yeah. of that. Like they were having trouble making the game clock and the... It's metric over there. It's a whole the thing. play <laughs> clock work together. It yeah. didn't make any sense. Everybody's freaking out. Nobody knows how much time is actually left. But what you know for sure is that the Packers keep stopping the fucking clock because yeah. the Giants keep taking a knee. So on first down, they just take a knee like right away. Yes. And I, I, I'm like, immediately I'm apoplectic. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? You have... Saquon Barkley, 
you have a number of other fullbacks and and tight and large tight ends and and running backs you have daniel jones like in my in my mind there the play is not to take a knee knowing that you need to bleed because every 5 seconds that you can bleed off that off that game clock is enormous yes. you do not want aaron rodgers of all fucking people to get the ball back with time to to make even two plays right because if he's got time for two plays anything can fucking yeah, happen yeah if he right? can heave it into the end zone uh who knows what happens? It's happened to the Giants, I think. This happened to a couple of teams where he just throws it, and then somebody somehow catches it, and then you lose. Yes, it has happened to the Giants before. <laughs> so, it, like, I'm positive that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And and so, in my head, I think that the correct play, and this is where I want you to tell me that I'm wrong here, is to either run Jones out on a bootleg with a with a couple tight ends and a running back or a fullback as his blocker just to eat up some clock right. and then slide, right? So he's got the entire other side of the field there because they're on one hash mark. Right. You just run as far as you can toward the sideline and then slide with a, a few – or if anybody's getting close to you, you fucking go into the slide right away. Right. And at, at least it's taking another second or two off right. the clock right. as opposed to just taking a knee, Right. And so I'm freaking out. And then they go to second down. And he snaps it, and he just fucking stands there. And the yes. line is just standing there. And it's like, okay, is he going to take a knee? Is he not going to take a knee? Now he's risking some asshole from the defensive line just shooting across and punching the ball out right. of his hand. Right. And like, look, what are you – now you're just doing, you're doing the thing where you're trying not to fumble, but you're just inviting fucking catastrophe right now. But and you, then he takes a knee, and the Packers bang another timeout. Right. It's like, ah, oh, what the fuck is happening? So you were you you, you were concerned about that play because it it seemed like as soon as there was anyone that broke through, he would his knee would have been down. Like basically, he was very aware. I mean, it seemed like a kind of a shitty move to do. Like the, that whole quarterback kneel thing is is set up for safety. Like, okay, let's not have some defensive lineman come in too harsh you know he's going right. down and then they try to kill additional seconds by doing that right it's um, it's, poor, it's poor form to stand yes. there and be like yes. am i taking an ear am i not right. taking it right <laughs> because of course if he takes the knee and then some idiot comes then flying in and hits him in the head then yeah. it's 15 yards the right. other way and it's a free first down and the game is and over. the game is over right like yes what so, happened in the tampa game started. yeah we're gonna get to that too all right so that was second down and now we're on and and like now, at least they're out of fucking timeouts, but there's still time on the clock, and the Giants take a knee again, and they they wind it all the way down to like 25 seconds or something like that, 15 seconds maybe, and they're gonna have to punt. They're gonna have to do something on fourth down. They obviously can't take a knee again from the three yard line. Right, and a punt so, is almost too risky, right? Punt at this point is too risky, right? So the only rational play now is to run around for as long as you can, and then if you're completely in the clear then you can maybe you can get the punt off, right? right? Like if for some reason they've gone full punt block mode and there's nobody 40 yards down the field and you can just boot it, yeah. then yeah, go for it. But otherwise, you run out the back of the end zone or the side of the end zone and you take the safety, right? Because then at least you get to do the free kick from the 30-yard line or right. whatever it is. Now, the problem with that is that you're now doing this having not run enough time off the clock on the first two plays of the drive, yes. so-called, and you're going to give Rodgers all of this fucking time, like enough time to at least make one or two plays. And so this was the thing that drove me nuts. It's not the fact that eventually they, they do the own safety thing and accept the two points. It's that if you're going to do that, you have to do it so that there's only like a, a couple of ticks left. Yes, You cannot give it so that there's like 
anything more than like seven or ten or twelve seconds on the clock gives Rodgers too much fucking time because right. that's a, a, a fifteen twenty yard yeah. uh, sideline route, and then all of a sudden you're in business right. with the with the hail mary. Yeah, you should be. I was like, if you if you can have any time on the clock, it should be just for one play. Like if you have a setup play, like you describe, where you have enough time to do fifteen twenty, get out of bounds with like three seconds or whatever, and then chuck it. You never know what happens with it when those right. So obviously, what they're, the Giants are trying to do is they're trying to avoid turning the ball over on the five yard line right. when when they're they're doing the stupid take a knee on first down and let them call a timeout. What I'm saying is that there are there are two things at play here. One, you're worried that Daniel Jones or Saquon is going to turn the ball over. Right, right. that's one possible outcome. The second outcome is that. Aaron Rodgers gets the ball back and throws a Hail Mary on your ass and wins the goddamn game at the end of the game. And to me, it's way more likely that you're going to give the ball back to someone who can then score a touchdown to win the game than on any given play, your quarterback or your running back is going to turn the ball over. So to me, the safer play is to put the ball in somebody's hands and have them run around until they can't run around anymore and then go down, right? What? what, Am I wrong here? uh, What's wrong with running it? Like, if you're going to do that, like, I mean, what would be wrong with a handing it off and running it and trying yeah, to... Yeah, just, just run a draw right. with Saquon up right. The, right up the middle. Right. And then you... So you take that extra half a second beat, and it's like, okay, yeah. clock ticks. Right. And then you just run. And right. then you try to drive the pile. Right. And, like, they never blow the whistle right away when these piles are moving, right? right. And, and so the... But the fear is that somebody bangs the ball out of there. But, right. but the other end of this is like, all right, if you can't fucking protect the football for four or five seconds when it's the only hole... Like your whole fucking yeah, job, you don't job. deserve to win the goddamn game right. anyway. Right? You, at that point, you're not trying to break it for a touchdown. You're just trying to just move it a few yards so just have just max give it protection. To the strongest guy, yeah, the guy with strongest grip strength. Yeah, stay upright. And push yeah. him forward. Yeah. Just stay like upright as long as possible with your hands locked around it, your whole belly and body wrapped around that yeah. ball, and nobody can fucking take it from you. Like it. Like, oh, it was making me a fucking yeah. crazy person. <laughs> and Brian was texting me, and he's taking he's taking the Giants' side on this. He thinks that they did the right thing. I just I disagree entirely. Even that initial, how they started that that whole possession, like, or just because once you end up at where they ended up, basically everything else made sense. Like the All right. Well, Brian's Brian's rationale is he wants the ball out of Daniel Jones's hands as quickly as possible. So he's not. He wants Daniel Jones <laughs> touching the ball as little as possible, which. <laughs> I fully understand, right. right? Like, I I agree completely. But you cannot be a football team that builds its entire identity around making sure that your quarterback doesn't touch the ball, right? right? That doesn't work. <laughs> that, that's not how the sport there, works at all. There was, well, uh, see, it's working now. Right. There was that one play that didn't that, uh, Saquon break it for, like, 50 yards on just a direct snap? Like, maybe, I'm sure that, that was an exciting play for people who don't like the quarterback, like... Uh, Yes, more yeah, of that. Yeah, it was great. Just Saqu- Saquon had a couple of nice yeah. runs in that game. A couple of really great, like, he's just a completely different runner than he was trying to come back from that injury uh, last year. The same exact thing that you saw in Ronald Acuna when he was coming back from his knee injury in the middle of the summer. Like, there's just a hesitancy that exists in these guys' heads where they're just not sure if they can trust it yet. And Saquon didn't obviously did not trust his, his knee last year, and this He's making cuts like he did uh, when he was a rookie. Like he's he's he seems to be fully back, uh, which is a relief because right. it felt like like maybe Saquon was fucking toast already. Uh, looking at what he did last year, but 
we don't have to keep going on about the Giants end game there, but like it, it was just another example of me not being convinced that this coach, it's sort of like watching Kirby in the first couple of years where it's like, okay, like, oh, there's a lot of enthusiasm here. And he seems to have the guys on his side and everybody's working hard and pulling in the same direction. Right. Uh, but also uh, Kirby is a literal insane person <laughs> on the sideline who seems to have no idea of what's actually happening during the game at any given moment. Yeah. And Dayball has a little bit of that going on too, I think. He wasn't he like freaking out at the end of the game? Very uh, excited. Yeah, they're a very excitable bunch, these guys these coaches all right i want to go to the chargers game chargers and the who the hell did they the play? browns the browns yes i think it was 30 to 28 in the closing moments of that game yes. and it's fourth and one and a half or so at midfield and the chargers have the ball and they have the lead they decide now this is like abe classic abe <laughs> uh run and punt right yes. that's abe with a lead abe losing abe his team is down <laughs> by 30 he's like ah just run and punt like that <laughs> Very anti-quarterback position, uh, generally speaking. With good reason, by the way. Right. The Chargers elect not to run and punt. They decide that they're going to go for it on fourth and one uh, from about midfield, only up by two points with, I forget exactly how much time was left on the clock, but it was less than two minutes. Yeah, it was about a minute and change. They were in danger of handing the ball over to the other team at midfield with a minute and a half to go with uh, only a two-point lead, right? So the other team would only need a couple of first downs before they kicked a long field goal to win the game. To one, not even tied. That's to yeah. They go for it on fourth and one, and it's an incomplete pass, and they so they do not convert, and they turn the ball over to the Browns. The Browns end up driving for fifteen or twenty yards, kicking a long field goal and missing it, right? So <laughs> it does not bite the Chargers in the ass. Uh, fortunately for the Chargers, and also fortunately for. Uh, my bet on the Chargers to win the Super Bowl at the end of the year. <laughs> Did the Chargers make the right decision there on fourth and short at midfield? So, I mean, okay. So I think the answer depends on who you're playing. You know, so like this is a, what, Jacoby Brissett-led team. And so if you punt it, I mean, you're not going up against Rodgers, right? So you're not worried that, oh, they're just going to drive in, in 70 seconds uh, down the field for a field goal, right? So in right, that so situation, like worst case scenario on the punt, they get the ball at uh, a touchback at the twenty yard line. Yeah, right. And, and so they would need what, like a good chunk of change. I mean, this what, what did it end up being? Fifty four, like a fifty plus yard. It was a fifty four yard field goal. That right. They so they probably yeah. would probably need to settle for something like that. So you need to move the ball. I don't know, like forty yards or something, fifty yards, and then what? Like I think in this case, probably punt it if it was like a very good quarterback. Go for it. Did you not like that? Would you have? Would you punt it no matter what? Or no, go for it punt. no matter what? This is okay. uh, you never. So this is in keeping with my take on the Gi- Giants' end game. Almost never punt in football. Is, is no matter who you're going up against, you can be going up against like a Mahomes type or who is that that does that? Les Miles. Who there have been some coaches through the years who have moved away. That, and the Chargers coach is a great example. I forget the guy's name right now, but he hates fucking punting. And he, Lane he, Kiffin. You think, and Lane Kiffin like not punting. Yeah, I think. I yeah, think, it's him. I think Lance didn't do a lot of punting. In yeah, his day. that's you and him are the same. No, it's but it's the correct thing according to the metrics. Like you have four opportunities to gain ten yards, and it, why would you? Why would you take only three of them? And I understand so, when you're down there in your own at, at right. your own end, and you don't right. want to hand the ball over in, in the scoring zone or what have you. But 
overwhelmingly, if you're near midfield, I see no good reason unless it's a very long fourth down. Like if it's fourth and five or less and you're past your own 45 or so, you're anywhere in that midfield So the area. distance matters. So you're saying like if we're fourth and 10, no way. But if it's fourth and one, fourth and two, like, you know, short yardage. or Short yardage. Okay. Fourth down, end of the game. You can choose to end the game or you can choose to give the other team an opportunity to win. Either way, if you don't get it or you punt it, they get the same opportunity to win, right? right. Now, you can, you can argue about, oh, they got to go 30 more yards or they got to go 35 more yards or something like that. And, yes, that matters. But ultimately, you're, taking, you're going from a non-zero chance to a zero chance. Right, right but, but the thing is, is there's if, also if you risk succeed, inherent in failing, right? You have now put yourself in a worse position, right? So it's not like an even choice, like – it's not exactly even, but it is in terms of the zero chance or non-zero chance. What I'm saying is that's the bridge that is the larger bridge. The right. other bridges are smaller bridges. Well, it's not too late to start your football coaching career. <laughs> but anyway. I think it, it, it really matters who you're going up against uh, to make these decisions. And my old school of thought uh, that I still stick to is if you can make it in three, you can't make it in four. So punt, you know, if I don't know why. Where was this creativity on first and ten? Like now, you want to be razzle dazzle? Shut the fuck up. Punt the ball and then <laughs> let the defense. Play. It's, it's just retreat. It's cowardice. It's not retreat. Oh it is recognition of past failure. Look, I had three cracks at this and nothing doing. All right, maybe the defense can do something. But you get four cracks at it. This is what doesn't make. No, any. no, you get three cracks at it. <laughs> you can. But choose. what if you're on the like two? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Obviously, there are situations. Uh, but a, I'm asking Abe. Like, what? what if it's fourth and two and goal at the two? Right. Right. So I think it depends on. I, I always think like I would never look at the numbers. I would just look at the situation. If it's a high scoring game, or if I'm going up against a very okay, good team. Okay. So it's not always punt. <laughs> yeah, I will take more risks against good teams. But if I'm going against a Jacoby Brissett caliber player, I'll just punt it. I'm not gonna have to fuck up somehow. And, okay. you know, take my chances there. Unless I have a terrible defense. I guess there's a lot of conditions to my uh, statement. But, like, yeah. it all depends. If I have a terrible yeah, defense, I'm not. To me, to me, it's so easy. To me, it's it, we can choose to eliminate the possibility of this team winning by gaining a yard and a half here. Or we can choose to give them a chance to win. And I would rather not do that. I would even, always... So blind of all other facts. So, like, even if, like, yes, a lot as of your... As usual, go- Bob is oversimplifying and acting right. like there is one thing and it is football... And I'm not oversimplifying. I think that that is a good rule to go by, which is and and also the metrics tend to bear it out. You're at midfield and you're fourth and short. You should fucking go. You should go for it like every single time. Anyway, even if your uh, offense next, sucks, <laughs> you should go. for Sure. <laughs> next game, uh, the Falcons and the Bucks played. Oh. Bucks were the heavy favorite because the Falcons kind of stink. Falcons were getting owned pretty effectively through four quarters, and then uh, they mounted a comeback late. They they were down twenty one to seven. They score a touchdown with like four or five minutes to go, or something like that, and they go for two. Now, there's the first part of the equation. You're down twenty one seven. You probably are going to get the ball back at best one more time. Uh, do you make it twenty one fourteen there, or do you go for two the way that the Falcons did to try to get a little bit closer? This is uh, one of those goofy advanced whatever somebody came up with. They said you should always go for two. I would not do that. I would just. 
unless I needed to make up ground. Like well, my whole thing if is you think about it. Going for two is a 50, 50 proposition in the right. national football league. Something like about 50, 50, maybe a little bit worse than that. Cause they keep running that play. You hate. Yeah. So if they go for it and they miss it, there's again, they have a 50, 50 chance of if they score another touchdown going for it next time and getting it that time. And so yes. the result is effectively uh, the same as kicking two extra points. The Falcons ended up going for it and converting to make it 21 to 15, which puts them in the enviable position of simply needing a stop, a touchdown and an extra point to now win the game rather than rather than a touchdown, an extra point to tie the game. It's uh, third and five, maybe something like that. They had they'd given up one first down to the Bucks on the subsequent uh, possession, but then they got to uh, third and whatever and they got to stop. Like yes. he, they know, were I'm able, watching yeah. the game, and I stood up and I did a fist pump. It's like ah, fuck you, Brady. We're gonna they watch a, the Falcons come back on you it, this time. They got a very a seemingly clean sack on right. Tom Brady. I forget the guy's name. It's the only Falcons defender with a name, and his name I can't. Brady Jarrett. Yeah, that guy. I think Jarrett. they all have names. They all have names, but yeah. Jarrett. Maybe don't say that. Jarrett's a name, though. Anyway. Uh, Jarrett comes across and sacks the guy, and it looks like, to me, a perfectly yeah. clean sack. Right. I looks saw no problem everyone whatsoever. everyone except a few guys on the field, I think, like a perfectly right. good sack. Tom Brady immediately is complaining, and he's staring at the um, – he's making the throw-the-flag thing. Yeah. He points at the guy. Like, you see what that guy just did? And then the fucking flag comes in, and they call a 15-yard roughing the passer penalty and just hand the game to the Bucks. Yeah, that's basically the game. Now, do you think that the – Tua concussion had anything to do with it because the only argument I can think of is that they were concerned about some sort of ragdoll situation where sensitive. he's so strong that he brought him down too harshly. This old well, geezer. It's interesting because it the Tua thing, the second one, the Thursday yeah. night one, he did kind of get spun around yeah. into the ground. Yeah. And this sort of looked like that. But the time Tua got spun around into the ground, that wasn't called for a penalty. Yeah, and and his it head hit the, I mean, yeah, so th- th- that is inter- yeah, so I'm wondering if they got like some sort of internal memo saying be mindful of I mean, they've been so the last couple of years they've been more careful about the body slamming thing, right? Yeah. Like cuz remember uh Ogletree, the dogs Ogletree yeah, like Ogletree always body slammed. His people. whole move was to just grab a yeah. guy like <laughs> WWE style and slam him to, like pile drive his ass to right. the ground. Yeah. And I would wince and cheer every single time because yeah. it was like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, fuck him up. Uh, yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, they've, they've made the Ogletree tackle effectively illegal in, yeah. the, in college and the NFL now, and, and certainly against uh, quarterbacks. You can't grab a guy and either slam him to the ground or – like use your weight to fall on him Which hard on purpose. Explain why quarterbacks are special. Because you don't want yeah. hurt quarterbacks. It's just a... I don't want hurt anyone's. Right, but people, you know, the teams are made uh, by their quarterbacks, so they're, they're higher v- valued than the other players. Okay, that's yeah, sort of like racist or not, something. Yeah. <laughs> not a like lot it. of wide receivers making fifty million dollars right. a year to play the sport. Uh, you want to protect the investment there, and they're mostly like. Feet, they're featured predominantly, you know, Mahomes or, you know, know. Uh, Lamar just, Jackson. It, it or, seems like it's yeah. not fair, but whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's very racist to want to protect Patrick Holmes and it's something. <laughs> it's something. Holmes. I don't Lamar know Jackson. what it is. It's something. They are making it almost impossible though for the defensive players. Like, you know, you, you there are a lot of stuff that makes sense. That, you know, don't like tackle at their legs or whatever. Uh, or don't other leave with thi- your helmet. But that tackle, I mean, if if a player can't bring a player down like that, then I don't know. What do you want them to do? I mean, if you want to do. You know, hey, I want to sack by two-hand touch. Like, if I touch you with my two hands, that should be the end of it, right? I mean, if you want to be that safe, but you can't give this very hard standard for these players to meet because, like, how else can they tackle other than right. what He just ran did. at him and then grabbed him around the hips and then sort of fell down with him while holding on, and that right. was it. Like, it wasn't it – wasn't, it didn't even look like a hard – like, I've seen – I've seen, like, I know what a fucking penalty looks right. like in this sport. That did not look like a penalty. It didn't even, like, cross my mind that it could be a penalty. Yeah. And then right. all of a sudden the flag comes in. It's like, right. what, what is even happening? And I'm sure most, like, fans who were watching who were wanted Tom Brady, not, Tom Brady not to win, like, they were halfway through celebrating that they were not even aware a flag came in. Like, wait, what? Did somebody jaw at somebody? Maybe with, like, a after-the-play kind of... But they're like, no, the actual play you just watched was illegal. And it's like... Maybe like could could a great Jared type lift a quarterback up and say I can do with him what I want and just blow the whistle ref and then I can bring him back down right so basically like don't <laughs> tackle him just lift him and hold him just suspend right. it in air until the ref says okay you have successfully sacked them safely and now let him go like maybe that's a solution I don't know but it's got to be a better way bogus I don't know did the NFL say anything about that sometimes they like. They say something about yeah, it the next day. Sometimes they're like, yeah, sorry. I didn't see anything about it. I, I haven't heard. Maybe they did. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, but uh, I believe this refing crew was sidelined from the playoffs last year. Like, there are certain crews that are apparently not very good. Uh, and so they don't get selected for playoff games. Uh, and I think this was one of them. I think that's, that's the good. last I, I read about it. Fuck these guys. That was terrible. Yeah. Brady's now, and, they, and then uh, icing on the cake is they throw up the graphic as the as the clock is going to three zeros. It's like Tom Brady now eleven and zero all time against the <laughs> against the Atlanta Falcons. It's like, well, that's not cool. You can't rub that in right now. After that, you didn't even give the Falcons a chance to march down the field and score. Right. I mean, it's not like the Falcons were definitely going to score a touchdown. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like they were going. Still, anyway. it's like you've yeah. it's you've now taken the possibility and eliminated it. And like I don't know. It, yeah, it, I know that they want to protect the quarterbacks. My my instinct at the end of any of these games, whether it's a pass interference call or it's a roughing the passer call or whatever it is, it's like if you're in the process of doing something that is going to end the competitive outcome of the game, like you are with yeah. this penalty ending any future possible competition happening in the in a game that is currently highly competitive then you have to fucking swallow the whistle like yes. if it's if it could go either way then you swallow the fucking whistle right. and the of course the little tyrants in their zebra suits aren't going to do that most of the time but all right there was this piece in the times back in august that i missed somehow uh, but but because today was indigenous people's columbus day the uh, Daily re-ran an old podcast. It's a good compromise, by the way. On their NPR show, right? So the Daily is a New York Times podcast, but sometimes I hear it because it's on the on NPR. And they were running one from August. The piece was about surveillance 
at work. Okay. And I will pull it up here. Like the keystrokes and activity on the computer and... Right. So it's it's titled The Rise of the Worker Productivity Score. It's uh, August 14th. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Right away, I'm for it. It was a fun read in part because as you scroll through it, it keeps track of whether or not you are being appropriately productive in your reading of the article. So it times you, it explains how much time you spent scrolling and clicking, and it counts your keystrokes and your idle time, and then gives you a grade at the end of the article, assuming you make it that far, to tell you uh, how productive you were in your reading of the article. Uh, and it, that, That's to give you an idea of what it's like to be at work with uh, one of these productivity monitoring software things running constantly in the background. Do you deal with this at all? Is there any no, of this uh, thankfully, surveillance I, at, at your it job? It works for the government. Are you kidding? <laughs> I, uh, I'm i not aware of any such uh, surveillance. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the union would put up with that <laughs> very long. Uh, also, uh, are they sure that they can capture productivity just by keystrokes and these sort of things? I mean, I'm sure it's want- many measures. Right. There are many measures, and it's the whole point of the article is that it's a there is a great deal of debate and conversation around how effective this actually is at capturing real productivity rather than just being a proxy for having an asshole micromanager yelling at you over your shoulder all of the time to keep your eye on the screen, basically. Right, right. right. And so, like, I'm reading the article, and as I'm reading the article, because I have it pulled up where I can read maybe, you know, three to five paragraphs at a, at a go. And so I'm not touching my mouse. I'm not scrolling at any time. And it, then it starts dinging me for being idle. And it's like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm reading the article right now. Why are you giving, taking points off? But like, the point is that there are large percentages of a person's day where they appear to be idle, according to this uh, productivity tracking software, when in reality they're doing their work. Yeah, but you take that into account. You expect a certain percentage of the day to be not touching the computer. But if it starts to exceed that... Okay, but if you work for a company that has like... a. 50,000 employees or something you work your united healthcare and you have a whole ton of employees it's like you, they don't actually right because they just, the software just gives you a score at the end of the day it's like you had a 60% productivity day as opposed to a 90% product your your partner down the street there doing the exact same job scored 30% higher what what what's your fucking problem right, right. so the point is that the this doesn't apply to like the sort of person who can just talk to their boss about why they appeared idle for 70% of the time. Uh, it applies to like huge numbers of employees who, uh, to their man, like they, you work as part of a team. And so the manager has certain quota numbers to hit. And that person's manager has certain productivity quota numbers to hit. And it all works its way up and it's shit just constantly flowing downhill. And it's a very bad and dystopian system. I really encourage you to click on the link and go read this story because there's a bunch of interesting and, and sort of terrifying anecdotes. Somebody got a job making $200 an hour and realized that uh, she was being tracked in 10-minute increments so that uh, she would not be paid for any 10-minute chunks of time where she was considered idle by the software, right? Like my job. And so, 
Yeah, I just I knew I knew that you were going to turn this yeah, into fuck all these people. I knew that be you were going to productive. turn this into how they should be working harder. But the point is that in order to hit 40 hours a week, she was finding herself having to work 55 to 60 hours a week just to make up for the so-called downtime that in reality wasn't actually downtime at all. Right. This reminds me a little bit of my first pizza managing job for the awful uh, humans who ran the PJs franchise in, in Athens there. And we would have to run people out on breaks in like one to three to five minute rotations because we just we were simply not allowed basically to schedule someone like like if you were scheduled for a four hour shift, you were guaranteed to have like a half a dozen little two to five minute so-called breaks where you clock out and you just have to go fucking sit outside. And like they present, you present it as like a break, but in reality, it's just, I've got to get you off the clock for five minutes in order to keep my productivity number at this certain level for this hour. And we're going to do that by taking a fucking dollar out of your pocket. Right. Right. You can't go anywhere. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the thing. You're not free to just, all right, I'm just going to go home and, and relax and I'll see you all tomorrow. You just have to putz around somewhere within the vicinity of the place and you're right. brought back on. You're still on the clock, just you're not getting paid for it. The, the ideal employee – at a at a place like that under the management that we were under was someone who was both like manically productive while they were on the clock but also like hilariously lazy and like <laughs> so like okay uh, I'm going to pull a random name out John John yeah. I need you uh, this for 45 minutes to make 300 fucking pizzas. Yeah. And it's what you're going to do. For 45 minutes, you're going to fucking go absolutely insane making a ceaseless pile of pizzas. And then I'm going to make you stand outside for like 20 minutes. And you're just going to – and we're only going to pay you for the 45 minutes. Right. Like this was like wildly unacceptable right. from a from an ethical label, labor practice. Legally also, right? I think probably we decided not that's, remotely yeah. legal. Like, yeah, it, this is the sort of practice that drove my my old friend Mike D into getting his law degree. Very literally, because he thought I I have to become a lawyer in order to fight exactly this sort of thing. And, and instead then, he went and, and like, he tries to keep people in jail. <laughs> like he made the way that he paid off all of his student loans was America! to go work at a high powered Atlanta law firm where <laughs> whose whole goal was to deny prisoners claims about mistreatment in, in prisons. Well, uh, I shouldn't have murdered people that he could right? get his inhaler. That's true. Anyway. So, to the point where I'm having to clock myself out to go, like I'm on a, I'm on a. This is before I was on salary, so I'm making whatever that is that I'm making an hour. And it's like if I wanted to smoke a cigarette in my 12-hour shift, I would clock myself out and like be on break for 10 minutes and like not getting paid. And yeah. like it's it's fucking insane right. that that was the way that we treated these people and the way that we were told to treat ourselves in order to keep that productivity number where the productivity number needed to be and of course it's nothing like like again it's nothing like what these people are dealing with in terms of being monitored on their on their computers all day long but it was that it's that level of like intense micromanagement where like so because it, it became something where like 
these assholes would make the schedule, right? So the, the, the asshole who's my boss is making the fucking schedule and saying, you need this many people uh, during this amount of time. And, it, and it's always, of course, it's an extremely like bare minimum amount of labor required to hit the expected sales goals for that hour. But on top of that, it's your job to make sure that if there's any downtime, if there's a hint of downtime, you put that asshole who's only making minimum wage on break and you make them stand outside for fucking four minutes. Right. And then you get their asses right back inside because they have to be back on the clock making pizzas uh, as soon as something comes in. I'm, I'm not sure if this is what they mean by when they say this, but is this what people mean by wage theft or is, are there other examples that are more applicable? No, like- there were other examples of wage theft in which people were getting clocked out like, 20 or 30 minutes or an hour before they were actually done there. Okay. And that was a, that was a, that was a, a whole other problem. But like what we were doing was just like of dubious sort of an ethical, I mean, obviously it's not an ethical gray area. It was a, a monstrous practice and it was just stealing right. from the lowest rung employee that you could possibly find. Like the ideal, getting off track here, but the ideal employee for these assholes is somebody who lived in the dorms across the street who we said didn't actually need any money, right? Right. So the, 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 the this goal... This is like beer money, so it's no big thing for right. them. The goal is to have someone who you can call at like 10.30 at night on a random Thursday when you're getting uh, slammed at the store and be like, hey, can you come across the street and help us make pizzas uh, for like an hour? And then they show up and you have them do that work and then you put them on fucking break as soon as the screen is clear. Right. It's like you're, you're not even going to pay them the $5.50 an hour <laughs> because you're going to put them on like it's and it's just in, and that yeah. but that was how we had to do it yeah. because the shit rolled downhill and like I was going to get fucking fired. I wasn't going to get a raise or I wasn't going to hit my bonus that week where a bonus quote unquote is just getting me up to like a living goddamn wage. Right. Right for for fucking killing myself. Right, and all uh, the profits, all the money seems to kind of flow upward. Right, I mean they'll, they'll throw you a bone just so. Yeah, you can... it's weird how that works. Right. Anyway, with the pandemic and everybody working from home, there's been like a fucking revolution in productivity software, and so it it tracks everything from uh, if if you have a camera on you, it will take a picture of you and a yes. screenshot of your computer. At the same time, and they'll do this like six to ten times an hour. Like, and so, I think it fucking should. If you're gonna work from home, do your job. No, this is you're completely wrong here. That if you're doing your job, that will be borne out by the fact that you completed the tasks that were assigned to you, and and if you have completed those tasks, it shouldn't matter if you did it in fucking five minutes or you did it in 45 minutes if the tasks were put in front of you and you did them then congratulations you've done your goddamn job and some people work in a way where they're able to just stare at the screen and just get stuff done all in a row and, and that's how else great. do people get stuff done that's Bob? great for them there are any number of other ways to be productive. Right. It doesn't all have to be in the exact way that the stupid software wants you to be productive. Right. Also, I can't imagine. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I work in uh, in a, with the federal government. I don't know if it's different in the private sector. From what I gather, it's not that different. But a lot of computer based positions, there isn't like uh, something that you have to do for forty hours straight. Right. There's there's an ebb and flow. There's a rhythm to that. It. So it's not always the case that. There's something that needs to be done 
on the computer and you have to be staring at your computer to do. Sometimes you're calling somebody, sometimes you're interacting with somebody, and it's likely that they're factoring that in. But when you're in person, like, you know, uh, I realize that I'm more productive when on the days that I'm away from home, I mean, away from the office, because when you're at the office, you inevitably will be talking to the other people at the office, right? And so, like, do these companies that where they're using these productivity tools, are they using that in the office too? Like, oh, you're not. Probably. Or because yeah, usually they, in, the, in the past, a manager would be there, and then you're like, okay, you're not going to just run off somewhere, but you're just at your computer or you're talking to somebody else down the, the hall. But nobody seemed to mind that in the past. Are they changing that too? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a question of justifying your idle time. And that's whether you're at home or whether you're at the office. So it's responding to bosses who say things like, why were you idle for 15 minutes at 11.15? That wasn't lunchtime yet. And it's like, well, I had to go to the bathroom if you really want to know. And it was not a pleasant experience for anyone (laughs) because I had some bad sushi last night. Right. Like, we are human beings. We need to be permitted to sort of do what we need to do in our lives. And yeah, there are slackers and that's a bummer. But like if the job, which is a thing that exists that you need an employee to do, if it is not something that you can then look at the work that was produced and decide whether or not the work was sufficient to the time, then there's something wrong with the job itself. Right. right. It's not just a question of whether, because then these people install these mouse jiggling like yes. a mouse jiggler yeah. on their computer so it looks like they never go idle and they're just busy 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 100% of the time i don't know there's something so, yeah. deeply ask- dehumanizing right. and like deeply alienating about the idea that you're being constantly monitored uh for your so-called productivity right uh, uh is it the standard test like how did that work out like i, I do wonder what the what the larger goal is with these, like you try to come up with a top-down system and then like, so with standardized tests, they were like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we know a student in Iowa versus a student in Georgia and the third grade and this grade and that grade. And then in some schools, they would just focus overly on passing the test instead of actually teaching the kids important stuff. So the only thing that mattered is that you pass this standardized test, right? And so there's this weird shift of priorities when it comes to that. There were scandals where people were cheating. Atlanta had a scandal uh, with cheating where everybody's just trying to pass this test. You're just fixated on this thing. And similarly, when you have these productivity things, what happens? Mouse jigglers uh, all over Amazon. There's like YouTube's that uh, YouTube videos that teach you how to bypass it depending on what standards your it has like i mean basically now all people are going to do is just find a way to get past this productivity thing right so it's like you're creating perverse incentives and the focus shifts from the work to how to bypass this cumbersome thing you're spending all of this money you you pay this software company a whole pile of money to increase your productivity score and all you've done is increase your productivity score handed over a bunch of your profits to a fucking asshole productivity software company right and in the meantime real productivity goes down because people are more obsessed with making sure they hit a bogus number than actually doing the job the right way right so basically then it's like are you even achieving the things that you set out to achieve to start this because no it's the fucking vampiric consultancy class once again coming in and, and skimming their bit off the top. Right. Scumbags. 
let's see here. Also, in our bogus future, I'm going to play for you a quick video, Abe, without setting it up at all. This is a lot like something that we have discussed before in modern cars. This is the Cadillac Lyric, which is their new all-electric vehicle. Even getting into the glove box is weird. You don't have a traditional latch. Instead, you go into the touch screen, to the controls menu, and there's a little icon for glove die. box release. You push that, and then it pops open automatically. Wow. Oh my God. No! God! So I didn't realize that was going to happen no, at the end there. But that's Correct. very accurate. Uh, but that is the probably the correct reaction. Uh, all right, so to summarize for people who could not see that, although it was well narrated, uh, we have a, instead of any buttons anywhere on this dashboard, we just have an interactive touchscreen display. They've removed so many buttons, in fact, that they've even removed the little handle that's on your glove compartment. So you cannot physically open the glove compartment uh, area. You have to go on the screen through uh, three parts of the menu to hit the button that then pops the glove box you open. You get in an accident and you need to reach your hammer that you keep in the glove box, you can't because the electrical system's all crashed. Yeah. Seems bad. Is it's, it bad? It's terrible. I can't... I, who thought of that? I mean, some of the other stuff is stupid, but whatever. That is outrageous. Like, the fact that you can't even... Like, you can't open that compartment. Like, you got to go through the stupid app and turn it off for no reason because somebody thought it would be smart. It's very dumb. I um, What is it, that stupid expression, all politics is local? I think all controls should be local too. Just everything, wherever it is, you should be able to pull something and it'll open in in the car. I mean, everything right. should and just And in be the there. event of like the fucking EMP, like, you know, somebody detonates an EMP over your city. Right. And now you can't get in your fucking glove box. <laughs> what are we doing here? It's so there stupid, needs, yeah. The, the easiest thing, like it's, it's just a solved problem. And yeah. I know that like it's not fun to just sell a car for thirty thousand dollars, and so you've got to make it fucking weirder and cooler. But like, stop it! If there's a if there's a latch on your glove box, you should just be able to pull the goddamn latch, and it should open. And by the way, the trunk and the doors operate in the same way. I didn't show you the whole video, but you like push a button that then triggers an electronic release. So at least uh, it's not a touch screen, at least, but even. Even getting into the trunk, you push the Cadillac symbol on the back, and that it doesn't do a manual, like physical thing. Yeah. It triggers an electronic thing that then raises the trunk up. That's how up. our cars kind of are. No, but when you touch the button on the bottom of the Honda trunk, it's an actual physical release. And in the alternative, you can stick the key in and pop it. Yeah, we have the key alternative, but the both, even my old car. Like, it's not an actual, it's a button that you're pressing. I don't know. When I pull the handle on the car door, it opens. No, the car door, yes, but not the trunk. But you have to apply a pressure, don't you? Like, for for that. Yeah, you have to apply pressure to the thing. Yes, but you're still pressing a button. It's not like just the key. It used to be you turn the key. Or there was like a thing for the latch. Right. Well, whatever. On the new Cadillac, you press the door handle and it triggers an electronic release as opposed to just opening the manual latch on, on, a, on a larger sense do, do you think uh people the younger people are going to accept this just like i'm sure there are some people who when we went from the uh the windows being rolled down man you know manually versus the buttons that we have 
Like when I saw a car with a button, I'm like, oh, great. They don't got to do the stupid fucking thing. Yeah. But I wonder if somebody before was like, no, what was wrong with the thing? Like I get a. No, probably not. I had no problem. Like I would never seek out a car that like, like it wouldn't bother. Like when I was buying my 2003 car, the last time I got a car where it was maybe an option to even have a crank window. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do they exist anymore? I don't think I don't so. Know. Uh, ah, that Chris's Chris's Honda had them. Yeah, that was a 1997 Honda Honda Civic, though. Yeah, 98 Civic, maybe. Yeah, but I've had more problems with the cranks than I've had with any buttons. Like I've I've never had yeah, one of the, the buttons thing. fail. It was by I've far the, an improvement. I've had the cranks break on me before. Like the handle will just kind of be gone. Yeah, they yeah, just it, the, would the, 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 it would lose. It would get off track. The scissor arm in yeah. the, which is what raises and lowers yeah. it in yeah. there would just break. Yeah, the, there was all kinds of things. You know, everybody preferred. The automatic windows. Right. This isn't that. This is. I think that young people will very quickly accept it, but I don't think that if you go back in time, there were people going like, "Ah, oh, you're too good for a crank." Yeah, like <laughs> it's clearly better. Yeah. What's funny is like the technology that I'm most excited about right now is very much technology that isn't pushing the bleeding edge of anything. Like there's a new Amazon Kindle coming out. It's uh, called the Kindle Scribe, and it's just an e-ink display. It's a ten and a half inch e-ink display, and it has a note. It's a you can draw on it. Oh, like it has, nice. The only cool thing about it is it's got a stylus, and you can take notes right on it. And it's a nice big like you know ten and a half inches is almost as big as like you know a regular piece of paper. It's a nice big device, and it's like I've been waiting for years to get a. An uh, e-ink newspaper that just updates every day, right? That so would I, be amazing, have, yeah. Oh, can't you do right. that with these iPad and touchpad kind of things? Yeah, but it's I don't not want a same. fucking iPad. I want, a screen. I want a big, like, you know, 20 by 20 or whatever a standard newspaper page is. And I want to okay. keep, like, a. it should be like five or six of them in a stack. And I can just, like, it just updates with the New York Times every morning. There's a new New York Times front page waiting for me when I when I go make my coffee in the morning. Oh, that'd be like, nice. That's that's my ideal. It's just like a giant e-ink piece of paper that folds up like a regular newspaper. But this, in in the meantime, this uh, the Kindle Scribe I'm excited about. But it's not like, like I could give a shit about the new Pixel Watch or whatever. Like I don't, I don't care. Yeah. And uh, everybody's like the revolutionary iPhone 14. Like well, is it still just a fucking phone that you yeah, put no. in your pocket? Like who gives a shit? They're all. They're all the same the last few years because there hasn't been any leap in anything. Like, you know, we went from the flip to the f- the this brick-style phone, and the batteries are pretty decent now. But there isn't – like, I don't know what the next thing will be, but they all – I don't I couldn't tell you the difference between a 13 and a 14 and a 15 next year. Like, they all look – I read a review similar. about the new Pixel 7, and it was like, you know what Google did great this time around? Uh, they're really focused on uh, call quality. It's like, oh, is that the great big advance is that Google's paying attention to the one thing that the phone is actually fucking supposed to be for? The next uh, frontier. <laughs> Call quality. Yeah, who gives a shit? All right, last thing on uh, on our bogus future. You've had a take in the past about oh, yes. how, how we are stupid to be going into space. Yes, yes. Right, and that we've got this wonderful Earth here why yes. would Perfect. why are we going out there yeah right that's sort of abe's position or you can you can restate it however no no that's uh, pretty accurate and then also i don't know much about space either so that doesn't help things you know i'm like this is uh the devil you know right here water 
land. What do you need all this other stuff? All right. I want to read from an excerpt of William Shatner's new book. Now, as you'll remember, William Shatner in the last year or so went on Jeff Bezos's big penis rocket. Yeah, with a blue so- what, what which one was his? This his was the Yeah, the blue Blue Origin space yeah, shuttle on October 13th, 2021. He was 90 years old, the oldest living person to travel into space. It's like a year ago? Wow. Yeah, October it's been a year 2021. Yeah. He's got a book coming out some sort of memoir, I'm sure. Christmas yeah. is coming. Um and he's there's an excerpt in the the Variety magazine website. I'm going to read a bit of it here because I found it aligning with sort of Abe's position, but also just sort of being touching in its own way. In addition to that, I looked down and I could see the hole that our spaceship had punched in the thin blue tinged layer of oxygen around Earth. It was as if there was a wake trailing behind where we had just been. And just as soon as I'd noticed it, it disappeared. I continued my self-guided tour and turned my head to face the other direction, to stare into space. I love the mystery of the universe. I love all the questions that have come to us over thousands of years of exploration and hypotheses. Stars exploding years ago, their light traveling to us years later. Black holes absorbing energy. Satellites showing us entire galaxies and areas thought to be devoid of matter entirely. All of that has thrilled me for years. But when I looked in the opposite direction into space. There was no mystery, no majestic awe to behold. All I saw was death. I saw a cold, dark, black emptiness. It was unlike any blackness you can see or feel on earth. It was deep, enveloping, all-encompassing. I turned back toward the light of home. I could see the curvature of earth, the beige of the desert, the white of the clouds, and the blue of the sky. It was life, nurturing, sustaining life mother earth gaia and i was leaving her everything i had thought was wrong everything i expected to see was wrong i had thought that going into space would be the ultimate catharsis of that connection i had been looking for between all living things that being up there would be the next beautiful step to understanding the harmony of the universe in the film contact when jodie foster's character goes to space and looks out into the heavens she lets out an astonished whisper they should have sent a poet I had a different experience because I discovered that the beauty isn't out there. It's down here with all of us. Leaving that behind made my connection to our tiny planet even more profound. It was among the strongest feelings of grief I have ever encountered. The contrast between the vicious coldness of space and the warm nurturing of earth below filled me with overwhelming sadness. Every day we are confronted with the knowledge of further destruction of earth at our hands, the extinction of animal species, of flora and fauna, things that took five billion years to evolve, and suddenly we will never see them again because of the interference of mankind. It filled me with dread. My trip to space was supposed to be a celebration. Instead, it felt like a funeral. I'll stop there. The whole thing is worth reading. I just read a big chunk of it, though. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. He also talks about how he's not the first person to have this sort of shift in perspective that many astronauts sort of get this sort of feeling when they go out into space and then look back. It's interesting because when he came back, he was so, like, into it. He was extraordinarily moved by the experience. Yeah. Yeah. 
but he was probably still processing because the cameras were like right on him as soon as they touched down, and that bozo's guy was like embracing him and whatever. But it seemed like he was and kind he of was very, processing. Like, he was uh, in the moment very grateful, I yeah. think, for the experience. Like he yeah. felt it as a profound emotional thing, regardless of whether. Like he thought that now he wants to go to fucking Jupiter, right. which obviously he does not. I think that wow. his emotion in that moment and his gr- his gratitude towards Bezos in that moment was was as heartfelt as this as right. this piece a year later. It's just interesting. Was as well. Yeah, but you know, I I I am surprised that there aren't more people who think that without even having to go up into space because there's literally. I mean, there may be something very far away, but at least. From what we can see, there's nothing there. Even like Mars, there's nothing. There may have been something there at some point, but there's nothing now. So it's like, what is the point? Like if I'm going, if I'm in Atlanta today and I'm going to see a friend in Los Angeles, I'm going to go see to Los Angeles and that's something there. But if I'm just going nowhere, what the fuck is the point? Like I'm going to get a boat and just go nowhere? It doesn't I think make it's any worth sense. Ex- it's worth exploring the unknown, certainly, right? Maybe. Finding out what the fuck is out there. Maybe. I just don't think we have the tools yet. I think it's fine what they're doing, these baby steps. and But we're just so many generations away from any sort of interesting travel. And it just sucks right. out. This place is perfect. I'm telling you. If we have the, the thing that... And, of course, he loses me a little bit when he starts talking about how it is us and we are destroying the planet. And and maybe to an extent that's true, but I, I always sort of default to like – I've said this recently and before on the podcast about the George Carlin's going to – his line about the earth is going to be fine. Yeah, like, we're fucked. Yeah. It's, it's the people who are fucked. Yeah. That is the fundamental thing that I think – like if even even if you take out the framing of the global warming or climate change or, or men caused climate change and all of that, it's the inevitability of the destruction of this incredibly precious and unlikely thing that is the earth is like a staggering thing to have to try to come to terms with all at once, yeah, right? Yeah. And so if he wants to frame it in terms of climate change because that's sort of how he's thinking of it, that's fine. Ultimately, I think that like, like I was saying at the top of the show, like fucking Pangea is going to reform at some point on the long run. Like the Earth's oceans will rise and fall. There will be enormous catastrophic volcanoes. There will be uh, fucking asteroids. There will be uh, uh, earthquakes that are Michael of, Bay, Michael Bay, and Roland Emmerich movies. Right, Un- unspeakable destruction right. and the end of ninety nine and a half percent of all life on this Earth, no matter what. Uh, the stupid humans do in our relatively short time here. And it's just whether you think that it's because man is like somehow responsible for the end of it, which to me is just it speaks to a level of uh, of egocentrism of what the uh, of what humans are capable of even doing here that is completely misplaced. Like it's just it's just it's impossible to for us for our brains to understand the the sort of time scales that we're dealing with right. here that that mass extinctions happen we come and we go we're gonna be fucking gone all of us gone everything we ever cared about fucking completely gone like this this is just an incredible miracle and an impossible coincidence that we're here sharing it together now and like that that is the feeling that you should grasp onto is just this incredible gratitude for even getting a moment to experience it when when that was just incredibly unlikely 
by any reasonable understanding, whether you think it's God or nature or, or uh, sheer random accident. In terms of likelihoods, it's, it's got to be very small. Right, but I think, I mean, the, the timelines are way different. I mean, who cares what happens in a couple hundred million years? I mean, if you have a hospitable planet and you make it less so, then try not to do that. Like, you can't control things that are outside your control or something's going to happen in 300 million years. But if it's like yeah, yeah. within a few Absolutely. generations and you can do something about it, at least try to do something about it. Yes, at least try. But yeah. also, Bill Shatner is overstating. I think, I think it's in, in his quote there at the end about uh, the destruction of the earth at our hands, I think is like things that it's took just five... being dramatic. I know, I know, but things that took five billion years to evolve. Yeah, sure. Mass extinct, like the the end of all life as we know it on this planet over and over again throughout those five billion years, right? I mean, there are, there are unforeseen consequences to action and inaction all of the time, absolutely. But on anything approach, if he's talking in terms of the five billion year time scale, I don't think that man's impact on this planet is as meaningful as he's making it out to be in that moment. That's all I'm saying. Okay. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com, castironbrains.com. We've once again avoided talking about uh, the end of the internet as we know it. I think this is a new bit. Maybe it is. The good news is that that is going to be a case before the Supreme Court sooner or later. So we'll good. We'll talk about it in summer. Almost certainly get to talk about it. Eventually, the opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Find his rock and roll band at T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. That's Tetramer music.com. Abe, did you make it to the movies? Before we talk about Blonde, did you see anything else? Yes, I did. Now, this is a rough stretch of movies, uh, but I did go see uh, Amsterdam, which uh, is a movie that didn't get a lot of marketing pu- a marketing push because it just kind of no, came and went. Um, well, it, I think it, uh, it's a bunch of commercials with all the famous faces on it. Yeah, so then, that's that one. Yeah, yeah, a lot of famous names: Christian, Christian Bale, Bale Marco Rossi, all that stuff. John David Washington it was. Yeah. Denzel Washington's. It, it, it was very all over the place. It wasn't a very good movie. The con, the, the story centered around. Doesn't. doesn't- all over the place just describe David yes. Russell's entire I sort he of was filmmaking over. Is he not good? A good director? Like, I thought he made decent movies, but at least... Th- no, he's good, but he's just all over the place. Yeah. But th- yeah, this was one of those movies. But basically it was like 1930s era America about like this push towards fascism or whatever. So they're trying to make some sort of connections to the present, but it's just very sloppy... Not very good. It reads as a movie with a lot of like zany hijinks. And I, I always get the feeling that if you're pushing the zany hijinks like to its limit, you go right up to the edge of being very stupid very quickly. Right. It's It, it, it was right there. Um, I do want to focus on, on, on Denzel Washington's kid, uh, this uh, John David Washington. There's some actors and actresses who I'm like, the jury's out on whether they're good as actors. One yeah. of them is the lady in blonde, uh, but the jury is still out on her. Uh, the jury is back in on J- John David Washington. He's not a good actor. Like he wasn't good, good in any of the movies that I've seen. He was, I guess, okay in Ballers, that the Rock show on HBO. But like Tenet, 
Uh, and this movie, he's just flat. He's just, I'm like, maybe that's what the director is calling for, but. So I thought, I thought that worked in Tenet. Right. I so that's that why I was like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's why I'm like, I don't know. Maybe this is a call for this, but he did kind of a similar thing in this movie. And Margot yeah. Robbie was like so much better than him. And they were kind of like, you know, and Christian Bell was fine. Everybody else was fine. The movie didn't work, but like John David Washington stood out as being not particularly good. So jury's back in. He's out. Gotcha. All right. Uh, anything else? Just that one? Yeah, as far as movies, that was it. All right. Uh, let's talk about Blonde. What is your... This is a two-hour and 45-minute long movie. We watched it in two chunks. We watched the first hour and 45 or so of it, and then we watched the last hour of it uh, a couple nights later. It was not because it was boring. It was just getting too it was late. Just, I didn't want to stay up another hour and half and then also have to wind down right my yeah, yeah i mean i watched it the, the week before but my the one thing i can say about the movie is that it was a a chore to watch and i love movies i go to the movies all the time if i'm watching a movie over two settings it's always a bad sign they're never like this is so great let me save it for tomorrow like no i want to yeah. watch the movie now and the movie just like I just wanted it to end. I, there was nothing good about it. I don't think there was anything interesting about it. Most of the stuff is made up, and I don't care if it's true or not. Just the story itself just didn't really resonate with me. Yeah, I liked it a lot, and I liked Ana de Armas's uh, performance a lot as well. Yeah, her performance is what you liked, I'm sure. How dare you? <laughs> Again, with by the way, and not that every movie or any movie. Uh, needs to titillate me in order to be good or in order in order for anything, right? right. The, the yeah. purpose of the movie is not to titillate me necessarily or or its audience at all. But Anna de Armas keeps making movies where she's naked right. and it's not titillating. Like it's it's the it's it's the opposite it's it's very uncomfortable sexual situations right. that she keeps appearing in. Uh, like that mo- that Ben Affleck movie that she was in, uh, Adrian Lynn. Oh yeah, I, the- I didn't see that what movie. What was but the I- name of that movie? It was like Suburban Water or something. It was, yeah, it was something Deep about Water. Wa- deep Water. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, I think it was Deep Water. And again, she's like, I mean, I don't know how to say it without being like creepy and weird. I guess if you want to take this as creepy and weird, I think she's legitimately one of the most beautiful people on the planet. At least in terms of like who they put out right. in front of us right. uh, to to consume, I think she's like a perfect looking specimen of of the human species, uh, and like you know as a red blooded American male, you know you <laughs> see her doing stuff, being naked. But like that movie, like it was, she was naked and doing sex stuff in that movie is very uncomfortable. Like yes. not it wasn't it, it was deeply unpleasant interactions and then in, in, well, Mar- getting, like, in blonde is, in some of i mean yeah like, I think- in blonde she's <laughs> naked like half the time and none of it is like ugh, you don't feel good about it at any point uh lots of assaults and, and yeah, how many rape scenes were in that movie there were at least two i think just two yeah the yeah just two, two. At least two. Plenty of slapping her around and bloodying her up when she's already naked. It's not a not a pleasant experience in terms of, you know, a popcorn movie that you just enjoyed <laughs> hanging out and taking in. I do think a lot of the criticism is wildly misplaced. If you read any of the reviews about this movie, they talk about how this is 
somehow like instrumentalizing Marilyn Monroe or it's it's like it's just abusing her for the sake of abuse. People are always going to say that. And I don't under, I don't understand that because like we watched a stupid movie a couple of weeks ago called Hush uh, which is about this lady who's She's uh, deaf. She's and deaf mute. and mute, and she's in a house in the woods in the middle of fucking nowhere. She lives there. She decided to live there. Right. Okay. She can't hear shit, wants to live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's very safe. And a killer shows up and kills her neighbor and then, like, bangs on her door and uh, ends up torturing her for half Hilarity the night. Hilarity ensues. Right. Uh, not a very good movie, uh, but has, like... 90% or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Like it, again, like you grade on a curve, I guess, right. for yeah, stupid horror, horror movies or whatever. Um, but not a peep in any of the reviews of Hush about like it just being torture porn for two hours. And because there's no, re- there's no redeeming narrative quality to the Hush story. It's just about torturing this woman and seeing how long she can hold out and then eventually having her uh, overcome her attempted killer at but the very end. But what's the narrative quality in Blonde? The thing that I think a lot of people get wrong about these sorts of movies, a movie like Blonde, is that it criticizes it for saying something about the culture, or I'm, I'm getting this exactly backwards, is is it is it possible that your criticism of Blonde isn't of the movie itself but it's that you didn't understand what the movie was trying no, to say. Totally. But cuz the movie if the movie's trying to say a thing, it's that she was treated shitty, right? Right. But I there's no plot to that right. movie. It's I don't understand note, yeah. any of what I just watched except Marilyn Monroe okay. was treated well, I could shitty. Write, I could I could come up with any number of interpretations of that movie that may, are uh, valid or invalid in equal measure according to how far you're willing to go with me on the sure. whatever I make up about the movie. I think you could say plenty of interesting things about celebrity and what America does to celebrity, the way that we devour our celebrities, and the fact that we've evolved into a society that makes celebrities out of each and every one of us by giving us a movie production studio in our pocket and then putting everybody on social media and now everybody's on Instagram or TikTok. Like, what is the algorithm on TikTok? The whole thing is designed around you putting your face front and center on the screen. And it, like, apparently the way that the TikTok algorithm works is that it prioritizes selfie videos like specifically in that way where you could make a short form movie of anything that's 10 seconds to two minutes long and put it on tiktok but what it wants what the algorithm delivers to people over and over again specifically is the full frontal face shot right Right. it is that thing they want the human person who's and not of your friend they don't want you filming someone else they want you holding that phone up in front of your face and performing for the camera in that way that that is a that's a fact of our modern life and that that is what this movie did to marilyn monroe is that it completely dehumanizes her in in dramatic ways i mean there there are dozens of shots of huge crowds of leering and jeering men just over and over and over again and if you think that what this movie is doing is it's 
it's just it's bizarre to me that you can read criticisms of this movie in half a dozen major outlets that are being critical of the movie for doing the thing that it is so obvious to me it is criticizing yeah, itself. Yeah, that happens all the time. It's very dumb. Yeah. You shouldn't read those. Right, but, but I mean, you but, say I shouldn't read it. It's the New York Times. Right. It's it's the it, yeah, that. Ha- but I feel like that happens so much about every like every movie okay, it's but like no where that's what, I, what it was trying to do right. so it's one thing when it's when it's like uh the book of mormon or it's south park or something and they're they're mad at it for an african stereotype in, in the book of mormon for example people freaked out because the african warlords who these mormons went to go try and save uh were stereotypes it's like well what you are clearly not understanding is that this is a stereotype that is derived from having imbibed and and completely drank in all of american culture right, right. they didn't invent right. this character out of whole cloth they're using the stereotype that exists in american culture to skewer it, to point out the ways in which it is flawed, so that if you find it offensive, what you should find offensive is the way that that exact character has been a part of American culture for the last hundred fucking years, right? That's the point of the fucking satire. You're missing the whole point. And so if you then take that, and and and, and it like it, it's understandable when people screw up parody in that way, right? Like, it's easy, because the whole point of parody is that it's going to fly over the heads of the dumbest fucking 50 percent of the audience no matter what but if you're going to then take that standard and apply it to regular art it seems to me that now we're now we're moving to an even dumber place where you cannot allow art to be a commentary on anything but itself that the art has to stand and fall entirely on its own and it can't possibly be commenting on something in the culture right it can't possibly be actually it can't have its own point of view it has to uh, stand or fall entirely based on how I'm taking it in. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm completely off, off. I don't think that you're off at all. I just also don't think that movie was very good. Right. Which is the problem. Like, that I think it, you're it, it, right. Yeah. And also that was like weird and kind of dumb. Do you, uh, I'm sorry, Lord. You were going to say something? No, I was at... Okay. So I, I didn't read all these reviews. I just take a gander at the, the numbers, you know, that, that, that comes up. But uh, did anyone... Uh, criticize the movie because not only was it an unflattering kind of like biopic or whatever it is uh, of Marilyn Monroe, but also a very uh, un- uncharitable, although it can still be accurate because there's a lot of stories about JFK being a, a, a rapist type, right? Did anyone criticize that part of it where it just so callously, uh, like, ah, suck me off, woman, or whatever the hell happened I mean, to that I... scene? Uh, right. When it's that artsy, yeah, like it was—I don't know. People probably haven't seen it. It's very artsy throughout. Right. It's not like it has little artsy moments. Right. It's very heavy on the "we're doing a thing." Right. And when you do a thing, you no longer need to be accurate right. at all. Right. Like right. which and I it also, works. I don't understand why. So there are a, there are a number of different reviews that I read that complained about the fact that this is not that this will be the definitive understanding of who Marilyn Monroe really was rather than 
that this will be treated as a biopic, right? That this will be treated as I don't think that it will. An, uh, essentially an unauthorized biography of the character that this is the one that will live in the imagination. And to an extent what I, the the point is that it already is the one that lives in the collective yeah, imagination. That, but also we reduced I don't think her it will. to this thing that she was that that like I don't know. Like the Joyce I never read the Joyce Carol Oates book that this is based on. I understand that it is fairly coherent with the source material in that way. But what I, I, I just don't understand why you would be upset at this like Marilyn I'm sorry, but Marilyn Monroe, Norma Jean, the reason that we don't have a picture of who she was as a human being is because we did that to her as a culture, right. right? And what this Andrew Dominic movie is doing is showing us what we did to this woman as a culture and making us own it. And we need to, like, I'm not saying that it's some, like, there's ethical import here that every American should be forced to watch this and come to grips with what we've done. No, that's fucking stupid. We were not born. Right, but right, we weren't even around. But I, I think that it is an interesting document of... Uh, what it means to be a celebrity, and it's an interesting commentary on precisely that and the the way that a person can completely lose their identity in pursuit of something that they're not even sure that they actually want. Right. Yeah, there's some like sort of bogus Freudian psychoanalyzing going on here of someone that we, we can't possibly know her in her life in that way. Yeah, sure, and that, that can be stupid. But but I thought it was an interesting movie, and it, it was – worth watching and i didn't think it was a slog at all i like relatively enjoyed watching it i wasn't bored i just the whole time you know what if i hadn't seen the master i might not like this movie as much but if i ever got to why am i watching this i would think oh at least it's not the master So this is better than that. In terms of technical achievement, also, like, there are... Very cool. It's very cool, the way that they're able to recreate. And also, something that I noticed is, like, I don't think of myself as being overly familiar with the iconography of Marilyn Monroe. Like, it's not like we're one of those people that have hallways full of, like, Marilyn Monroe posters You do have a Marilyn Monroe poster, though. Do we? You do. I do? Yeah. What are you talking about? It's in the room over there. So she's like wearing like a tutu or something. It's going to, I'm not going to just, I'll fucking find it. <laughs> you better, because I don't, I am not at all oh. remotely familiar with my alleged Marilyn Monroe poster. All the, anyway, all the pieces fit now. This is why, yeah. Okay. I'm not, I don't think of myself as being particularly steeped in, in Marilyn Monroe stuff, but so many of the shots in this movie I knew instantly, yes. right? Like they're just absolutely part of our cultural language in a way that sort of surprises me all of these years later. Uh, And I wonder, like that obviously can't maintain forever, but this is the sort of movie that helps uh, reseal it into the cultural imagination maybe for another generation. All right. It's this photo shoot. I don't know which photo we have, but this. Mm. I don't have that poster anywhere. Okay. We do. I can. It's in there. If you would love, if you want to clean out the basement during your days that you I don't mean, have I a job, don't. Maybe you got it from like Allie or something. When yeah, you lived with I. Her. So what happened was uh, accuse me of having a Marilyn okay, Monroe poster. Okay, I said I you don't want this, and you poster. said I want to keep that. That's Marilyn Monroe in a sexy dress. I want to keep it. It's one of these. All right. I mean, sure. I, I've never owned a Marilyn Monroe poster though. You do. 
All right, incest dragons. Uh, one quick take on incest dragons is that this should have been the premiere episode of the incest dragons show. We did not need the whole previous seven episodes. This was a tremendous hour and 15 minutes of television. And I think, like, I don't know because I watched the first seven goddamn hours, but I think that we had a, you, you have enough sort of feeling and context for everything that's going on if you just come in here. I and don't. It, it, we will prove. That in, in the long run, the first seven hours of this television show, with the exception of the performance of King Viserys, which was worth it, yeah. right? Like, that guy was good, and he was an entertaining guy. But, like, we could have not had the entire first seven hours and just started here with episode eight. As someone who forces people to watch the first season and a half of Buffy, I disagree with you. Right. And and it's kind of weird for you to say that because you already know how everything came to wouldn't it be weird jarring like there's a lot of tension during that episode and i do agree was great none of it would really be there if you didn't know everything that led up to that episode maybe you didn't need all the seven episodes previously that came before it rather uh but you can start here like this basically seems like the shit is now about to hit the fan i don't watch the next episode but the old school Game of Thrones seasons, episode nine is usually when things happen, and uh, the yeah, next episode, episode is the ninth was episode, a and everything's setting up towards like, oh, oh, what did this old man about to die say? By the way, uh, at the beginning when I saw the old geezer, uh, the king, who you know the actor did a great job, I was like, if this guy survives this episode, <laughs> I'm out. There's no way. Like his condition was. No, such... he's still alive. He... He's still alive, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, like no eye in one side. Like I was like, there's it's no fine. way he can survive. But no, it was fun. He's not quite dead. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's very very good episode of television. Uh, and absolutely, I was on the money when I said that we've picked our sides here, because. On the one now we have on the one hand we have Rhaenyra and Damon and yeah sure Damon's a bit of a loose cannon will sort of behead a dude uh, at a moment's or notice or kill you never his know wife just out of expedience. <laughs> like, not a that, like, good person. <laughs> no, yeah, like I said, loose cannon. But, loose cannon. Uh, <laughs> but Rhaenyra has managed to raise good kids. Yes, on right? that. Like, fr- yes. Like, uh, so we have good kids, and we have someone who seems to have the realm's interests at heart, right? right? Expresses an interest for the realm, and also has raised good kids, and seems to be like uh, relatively happy in her current station in life. Yeah, and on the married, other hand, married to her uncle, but yeah, sure, whatever. Right. On the other hand, on the other, we have Allison, <laughs> who has raised. Absolute sadistic psychopath, rapist, and a sociopath. Right, basically, yeah. Right. That guy didn't raise those kids. Allison, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Allison oh, raised thought, her children. Okay. Yeah. She's their mother. Yeah. She, and th- those are sadists and psychopaths, and very bad news for everyone who like you look at them and you're like, oh, that guy's definitely going to be the king. You know how I can tell because he's an awful fucking monster. Right. And uh, that's what we get. When we get kings in shows like this, we get awful fucking monsters. So her two shitheads are awful, and fucking Otto Hightower doesn't care. He just wants he just wants power. Whatever it and takes. all he cares yeah. about is getting his grandson in power. And Allison then and then we get the like the there's one downside to this episode. It's the 
the stupid television trope of the com- confused communication right. that happens at the end of the episode. The misunderstanding. Which is completely unnecessary, by the way, right. right? Because Allison has already made her bed. We know what side she's on. We do not need to give her a dramatic irony for the audience, misunderstood confusion about destiny or about the king's final wishes or something like that. Right. It was completely unnecessary. I don't know why they did it except to like try to inject some bullshit righteousness people. into her side of the uh, her side of the story. Well, you know, so I don't know obviously what happens next, but from what I gather they're trying to have Alicent be not like motivated by like evil like she needs justification in her own head. So it seemed like she kind of like glommed onto like a very drugged up king. I mean, if you look at the balance of the information, 20 years of my daughter is going to be the, the heir apparent and I'm going to will my way to the, the the throne room to make sure that my daughter's interests are preserved. Uh, like if you take all of that and the dinner feast where she kind of came to terms with Renera being queen, like all of that versus well, it's what she said anyway. I think I think that she just said that in that moment, right? With the understanding that. Uh, Viserys wasn't about to fucking keel over right. and that she still had an opportunity uh, when, once Rhaenyra leaves King's Landing to to keep her hooks in power. I don't think that she was actually like handing over the crown in that moment right. when she said that someday you'll make a good queen. Right. But I, I from what I from my understanding is I don't think that this was like, a oh, one of those like the tropes that you described, like, a, oh, miscommunication and, and it leads to conflicting theories of things to me it seems like there was a couple episodes where the king called allison by his first wife's name emma so basically there's kind of sitting the ground like this person's out of it sometimes so don't believe right but she's going she's now going to rely on this miscommunication this misunderstanding about what he said no but what i'm saying is that she knows that what he meant wasn't about her idiot kid, his rapist uh, son, but she's going to oh, use you think, it. You think that she knows? She know because the way she reacted, like she was like, oh, but she'll use this flimsy pretext to champion her cause, right? But she doesn't believe that there was a... Okay, so then in, in, if that's the case, if, if what you're saying is right, that she's going to use this as a pretext that she knows in her heart is bogus... Right. Then we further cemented her as the bad guy here, and that that what we have here is a, a good guys versus bad. There are no good, good guys. guys, but isn't that isn't that a clear? There are no good people. I mean, the Renera's people are not good. They're, I mean, you can make the case that they're better than, but they're not good. Right, but I think that I think that what we have is we have the the little white brunette boys who are good, but wrong and then we have the the other side which is bad but right right and that's sort of that's sort of that they have the the more just legal claim to the throne but they have no moral authority right. also no moral claim the, to it i don't know maybe it's they're just adhering to how it was in the books but like the rapist oldest the the agon first of all Aegon. too many agons but okay uh the rapist Aegon, he seems to have no interest in being the king. Like, even when the right. old geezer showed up and it was like, no, 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 it's going through my daughter, he had, like, that smile on his face. Like, oh, thank God. Right. Classic, classic, like, banality of evil sort of situation as opposed to his younger brother, yeah. who, by the way, looks 10 years older than him, Aemon, <laughs> who's got, like, the real sadistic... Yeah, he's like that... Who was that shithead that Lori liked so much in Thrones? 
Bradley Baratheon? No, the shithead, the torturous. Oh, maniac. Uh, oh yeah, Ramsey. Uh, uh, Ramsey, yeah, Bolton. yeah. But I mean, yeah. a more he smiles. Right. Yeah, he does. I like people in these shows that smile. It's refreshing. <laughs> they're evil. Nobody's perfect. Right. At least they're smiling. Right. I mean, the oh, and Euron. That was the other one. <laughs> oh, is he? Yeah. Uh, the. The one-eyed guy, the patch guy. Uh, first of all, those younger kids, what are you doing laughing at the pig callback thing? Like, this guy is right. clearly stronger and older than you. He'll kill you with relative ease. And you're still taking a dig at him over the joke well, you played on him? you're not taking a dig. It's just a funny thing. And also, that was, Aegon, that was Aegon's joke anyway. It's not, it's not his look fault. Look at the guy's eye, or eye. He is a sociopath. He's going to kill everybody. Yeah. I don't know what his future holds, but he looks like he's going to kill everybody, and no one will stop him. He kind of reminds me of this Damon guy that you, you, you overlook all oh, this. Oh, yeah. Well, they shared, they shared a look of yeah. like mutual respect. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, we're the same. <laughs> it's like, we're the same. Too. Are we played by the same actor? <laughs> no? Oh, okay. Damon's like, you're probably going to try to fuck my wife, aren't you, gang? <laughs> She'd probably be into it, too. This fucking family. Anyway, it was a good episode. Again, I think that we could have done without all of the fucking prologue and just, just started here, and it would have been fine. But we're here now. Disagree. Hopefully there'll be a nice number of people dead, because I can't remember all their names. Renara's there's got three more kids. Like, There's too yeah. many kids. I think... So They're I all think, named Aegon. Really That's how that, you know. I really feel like this is one of the first episodes that they wrote, and then they were like, okay, we got to go back and fill everybody in. Yeah. It just feels like a pilot episode to me. It feels like so much happens because it's very, very similar to what ends up being the pilot, which is like, you know, we have a question of succession and what? we're going to have this big conversation about the succession. And like, and this, this particular succession issue very much rides right into the very next succession right. issue right yeah like, no know. that's true we'll keep watching it's fine it's good you got you got anything else for us tonight I... nope i guess that's all we've got for you tonight then we will talk to you next time later <laughs> fucking cory put on twitter about this show i thought we had a pretty good episode last week and uh, here's, what did uh, he say cory said in this week's episode of Cast Iron Brains, the host skips over all the wacky articles his audience comes to this podcast to hear him talk about to instead beat a dead horse about milk toast topics, which are at the top of the overly discussed culture wars. How dare you, Corey? <laughs> that is what you did. I want to, in the, in the classic sense of, uh, or in the way that NPR assholes give context to things by... Uh, by talking about other things that this person has said in the past. Yeah. Uh, like like Trump says some absurd thing, and they're like, but we need to give some more context to this. So I want to give some more context to what Corey said. His previous tweet on his timeline, October 7th, the greatest run to the World Series in Mets history begins today. Hashtag <laughs> let's go Mets. So is he just cranky? So not sure that he's a reliable uh, source oh, for but understanding the world out there there are Mets fans out there I, w I would like to know what Corey thinks or what yeah what Corey thinks but not like an opinion but like a guess as to those stupid towels that say these Mets like what is that 
I'm sure that there is an explanation. And if yeah. you lived okay. in the tri-state area, that's what I'm it saying. Would be I want to know. Clear. I want to know from Corey on Twitter what that's about. Lori thought it was a uh, like D's nuts reference, <laughs> as though they'd be printing. Out I was trying to 50, make it make sense 50, in my head. Dish towels at a time for waving about the head in great with great enthusiasm. With a as a reference to a D's nuts joke, which would be but great. It does, it's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, I don't think you can give that out to the first fifteen thousand kids who they show can do up whatever for a baseball they want. game. Yeah, that, that's not bad. It's either that or the, my other guess would be it's a hedge. Either way, you can make that. It's like when they suck. Oh, these Mets. That's the, it. Well. Just I, sounds more like no, they suck. It's one of those like uh, these Mets. Like it's very sincere. Like. We right. love these when guys. When they win. But if right. they shit the bed, you can still bring out the right. stupid thing. But yeah, I think the initial intent is that. Anyway. Eat shit, Corey. It was a good episode <laughs> last week. <laughs> if I'm not going to get on here and scream about culture war stuff, we're just not going to get on here a lot of the time. This <laughs> is <laughs> how it's going to be. By the way, did um, he have access to your many tabs? How does he know what the, was... The, done away with yeah further like i didn't realize that our <laughs> brand was just like wacky articles and i had no idea yeah, i didn't know that was a brand yeah that's I, interesting i did not know that's what people came to us for.